Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, this is the Independent Corner, and uh, with me tonight is uh, Kenneth J. Hall. Hey, Ken. Hello. Uh, hey, sorry to put you on the spot right there, but it just, you know, it just popped up, so. <laughs> oh, sorry about that, too. Yeah, I was trying to call in, and I had a few problems connecting. That's okay. That's okay. Um, so, uh, apparently, Chris Seaver can't make it tonight. He's uh, he's really, really tired from work, so. Well, he's, damn him all the hell. You know, it's... <laughs> It's okay. I, I understand. He he worked a pretty long shift, so um, he'll be okay. But I'm sure he'll be listening to it at some point. Well, I wanted to ask him about uh, uh, you know, uh, the one of his more obscure credits, but a, a personal favorite of mine. He wrote a uh, short that uh, my friend Scott Phillips directed called "Scream Science Bastard Scream." And it's just one of these things. I've I've, I've shown it to people. Some people think I'm absolutely insane for even watching it more than once let alone showing it to other people but yet at the same time i it just it just tickles me to no end yeah i i saw like the 10 minutes of it that they put on youtube okay. and i had scott phillips on the show recently and i told him that uh, i watched the 10 minutes of it he thought it meant that that's all i watched and i turned it off but <laughs> but no no i watched the 10 minutes of it um supposed to be getting uh, that and Gimme Skelter at some point from them if I can. Uh, well, you know I'm in Gimme Skelter. Yes, yes, I know that. Um, I think, because you, uh, you were on my show, like, I think, last year. Like, okay. uh, it's been like a whole year since I had you and last. It's been that long? Really? Good yeah, Lord. It, 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 you, know, you know, you were on the second show, and, yeah, I believe it was last Thursday would have been a whole year from, uh, you know, from it. So that's pretty cool. It's pretty crazy that I got you back on here. For like your own solo interview, I, I felt like oh, the last okay. one you didn't really get a chance to, you know, talk about all your stuff, and we have so much stuff that we could have, you know, talked about. But you know, we had like three or four other people on. You know, it was just okay. too crazy. So well, I, here I am. So. Yep. So we've got you on a one-on-one, Ken. Um. So uh, a lot of people I know are huge, huge, huge Puppet Master fans, mm-hmm. and um, I'm sure you get you get questions about it all the time, don't you? Yeah, it's it's uh it's a weird thing because I mean in the uh, grand scheme of things, the movies that I wrote, directed, or wrote and directed, and so forth like that, Puppet Master was one of those kind of uh, assignment jobs. In other words, it was not not an original idea of mine. I will give credit where credit is due, and Charles Band came up with the initial concept of doing a movie about killer puppets and uh you know but i and he even had pretty rough idea of what all the puppets would be so i i it was up to me to come up with a story to you know where these guys came from and who they were and what they did and all this other stuff um and uh um, did he just have the title? Is that all he had pretty much? Yeah, he, he had a title and he did have kind of a laundry list of the puppets themselves, you know, like Pinhead. He's guy he he's kind of a big bulky guy with a really little little head. Uh, the one thing the uh I mean there were several things that changed drastically from the time uh I turned in my original draft to the you know, the the rewrites and the final film. I mean quite a few of the 
puppets that were in my original script were uh, had to be cut for budgetary reasons and later turned up in sequels. Like Six Shooter was in the original uh, script that I wrote, and uh, but didn't turn up until Part Three, for example. Yeah. So uh, um, so it didn't it didn't show up till actually wasn't uh, Part Three the one with David Dakota? Yes. And he did. And yeah. he worked a lot with uh, Charles Band too, and with you. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, Dave, Dave was working with Charlie when I first met him. He was directing Creepazoids, and uh, a friend of mine was uh, uh, the editor on the film, Miriam Pricell, who I'd met back when I was working with Fred Olin Ray. And uh, she brought me the set of Creepazoids and met uh, uh, David. And, you know, it, it was kind of funny because he was really. Uh, up on, you know, everybody, the who's who, and says, oh, Ken Hall, yeah, you wrote The Tomb. And it's like, oh, my God, okay, yeah, uh, you've done your homework. And uh, so anyway, yeah, Dave was, yeah, that that was Dave's first film for Charlie. Uh, and uh, it was actually shot by Tom Calloway, who wound up later being my DP on uh, The Halfway House. Uh, and I'd worked with Tom over the years on a, on on a few other things, including uh, Tales from the Hood. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, so it's it, it's one of those things. It's like one of these uh, things where you you never know, you know, when you initially do something, how long and how long lasting some of these associations are going to actually be. That's really cool, though. I mean, you do you have worked with a lot of like big name, you know, indie. Um, directors, you know, you said David Dakota, there's uh, Charles Band, as well as you just said Fred Owen Ray. And uh, Fred, yeah. I mean, Fred, Fred's even worked with Ed Wood. <laughs> um, I didn't know that. You didn't know that? Um, I, I actually didn't, didn't really know that until I looked at, um, apparently, I, th- I believe he was on, uh, he was set to direct the uh, the movie that uh, Ed Wood was, uh, Ed Wood wrote that never saw the light of day they did like maybe a scene or two that they actually did which was called like beach blanket bloodbath or something like that uh well you know but the point is was ed wood alive was ed wood well, around? actually i believe ed wood that was his last film that he ever got to see being you know being made or whatever mm-hmm. i believe that's what i heard because there was i believe there was footage of that but i'm not well, sure no, okay. I'm 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 not going to say anything one way or another. This is this is all news to me. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so you anyway. don't want to say anything that you know. If I were interviewing Fred, he could be able to tell me. More. Yeah. But maybe maybe sometime I'll be able to yeah. uh, interview him. But he's you know he's one of those uh, big prolific names out there. You know, like um, in the indie world. Yeah. So he's kind, of, he's kind of a hard person to get a hold of. <laughs> um, you know, we should probably move on to another person because you don't. Uh, I'm not going to say anything on here that you know. Oh, okay. That you don't want to be. Okay. You know, that I don't want to say, and I, I, I uh, there's nothing good I can say about Fred Olin Ray. Okay, let's let's move on. Um, okay. so let's just, um, uh, move on. Well, you worked with David Dakota, which I guess you're still friends with anyway, so. Yeah, David, Dave is, uh, Dave is, you know, uh, I, I just saw him, uh, actually, uh, Sunday night, actually, uh, speaking of, like, old times, uh, he called me up on Sunday and said, hey, 
are you are you doing anything tonight? And I wasn't. And he said, uh, you want to go see Stuart Gordon's new film? And I said, sure. You know, and we went to a, a screening. It was part of the AFM, but, you know, fortunately we got on the guest list and we got into the theater first. And uh, uh, William Butler, or Billy Butler as we call him, uh, you know, was, was sitting with us. But I mean, it was it was it was really kind of cool to see the turnout that uh, Stewart got, uh, the support he got from his uh, fellow filmmakers. Uh, I mean, t- well, Tony Timpone from Fangoria was there, but uh, I mean, there was like uh, God. I hope I don't forget anybody here, but Ted Nicolau, who directed the Subspecies series uh, for Full Moon, and goes way back to Empire, was along with Stewart and I. And Dave, and um, then um, let's see, uh, Tim Sullivan, director of 2001 Maniacs and Driftwood, and uh, Snoop's Hood of Horror was there. Uh, Tony Anthony Ferrante, who directed uh, uh, that Headless Horseman film that was on Sci-Fi Channel recently. Jay Wolfel, who did The Ghost Lake. Uh, Rolf Kaneski, who's got Nightmare Man and the Eight Films to Die For coming out. Um, you know, uh, Robert Parisi. Uh, well, well, Ro- uh, Rolf Kanevsky, uh, uh, he's been doing a lot of films. Well, yeah, yeah Rolf, well, no, Rolf's very prolific. Uh, yeah. Rolf, you know, Rolf's done a lot of, like, you know, teen, teen sex comedies and, uh, and, uh, and horror stuff. Kind of, kind of like me. <laughs> yeah. A lot of that. Actually, yeah. we have a caller. Oh, we do? Okay. Yep. So, uh, hold on one second. Let me put him through. Uh, 613, you should be on. Hello? Yes, hey. Uh, I'm, my name is Nick. I'm calling from Canada. And, uh, yeah, I, I got a question for you. It's kind of a, an opinion question. Um, now, uh, which which group of puppets do you think would find you'd find to be more frightening? Uh, the puppets from your film, uh, Puppet Master, or uh, the uh, puppets from the land of make-believe on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? <laughs> Well, that's uh, I don't know. I I, I find I, I've always I always found anything on Mister Rogers' Neighborhood to be pretty creepy. Actually, actually something even more contemporary that uh, that, that uh, um, it was kind of a weird thing that I actually discovered on a friend's MySpace page. I, I happened to look on her MySpace page and and uh, she had a blog called uh, "Do the Puppet Master," and it's like "Do the Puppet Master." What the hell is this? And I went on there, and there was a YouTube clip from a, uh, a Nickelodeon kids show called Yo Gabba Gabba that just uh, premiered this fall that, you know, anybody that doesn't have somebody in their family that's under, you know, five years old is probably never going to have heard of this. But uh, ironically, um, uh, the, the the segment was a musical number with Elijah Wood and these weird weird creepy costume characters kind of like you know, like Sid and Marty uh, Sid and Marty Croft nightmare uh, uh doing this musical number you know this little sing-songy kids number and uh what she didn't know was the fact that not only had I created puppet master but I also created the costumes for this kids show and the reason why they were doing a puppet master number was kind of a a weird homage to me, and yet I nobody told me that they'd actually done this. I wasn't on the set when they were shooting the costumes, and uh, so you know, it's like so. It, it was a weird 
kind of life imitates art. But yeah, I, and and I think anything aimed at kids, whether it's Mister Rogers' Neighborhood or Yo Gabba Gabba, is usually a little creepier than anything we we deliberately try to come up with and make scary. So Meow Meow Kitty could totally throw down on like on Blade there. Well, you know, Blade Blade would probably hold his own, you know, because he's kind of well armed, and you know, uh, depending on who, which interview you believe, looks like Klaus Kinski or whatever. But yeah, you know, and so the the the, the, the kid stuff is just 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 tends to be a little bit more disturbing and creepy, you know. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot, man. All right. All right, thank you for calling in, Nick. No problem. Bye now. Uh, Nick is one of the guys who do uh, Microshock.com. Uh, oh, okay. Chris Stevers, uh, uh new website. So uh, I asked him to call in if you wanted to ask a question, but I don't think you really wanted to uh, stay on for very long because it's long distance. So. I don't know. Oh well, yeah, yeah. You know how it is, I guess. <laughs> I do. Yeah. <clears throat> but um, so anyway, uh, yeah. So that's that's that was a really good question and. I guess we're talking about David Dakota, like and yeah, oh yeah, yeah, Dave. Yeah, no, Dave. Uh, 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 he and I uh, uh, had a good working relationship for quite a few years uh, because um, you know he he really liked my writing and it was it was it was flattering and yet at the same time it was a little daunting to a point because. Uh, he, he would generally shoot my first draft, and it was like, Dave, you know, give me a chance to go in and like fix a few things and at least correct the typos. But he was the all, you know. But uh, for example, on Nightmare Sisters, that was a uh, that was a classic. I think it was my record time. I wrote the script in seven days uh, from the time he told me it was a go project, and it, this was one of those weird things where he. Um, wanted to do something on his own and he came over to my my apartment one night and he said hey i've got this idea i want to do a movie called sorority succubus sisters that was the original title and we're going to have i want i'm going to have brink Linnea, and michelle uh the three uh reigning screen queens of the day uh playing uh, the sorority girls that get possessed by a succubus and going around orally castrating guys and I said, well, uh, that sounds hysterical because I've always thought, you know, the subject of oral castration was a real knee slapper. Uh, so, yeah, I was fine with that, but I actually I, I put the one extra spin on it where I said, hey, let's make this really fun and start the three off as total, total uh, uh, goofy nerds. And he said, well, you know, well, you know they're they're really hot, they're really sexy. You know how are we going to do this? We we're we're, shoot, um, we're shooting on a low budget, you know, and on a short schedule, and we don't have a lot of money for makeup. And I said, well, you know, we can figure this out, and we did. And I I kind of came up with the uh, the makeover looks uh, for them. I mean, I made a set of buck teeth for Linnea. Uh, Brink, I think actually those those might have been her real glasses. I don't want to say this out of turn because, uh, but she wore glasses in it and so forth. And I, also, they they weren't wearing their normal glamour makeup. Right. Michelle was actually the hardest because I mean um, she had the the best body that I'd ever seen uh, on camera, you know, or in person. And so we we basically I made a fat suit for her. 
and the it was great from the neck down, but still she was still Michelle, so she didn't so she didn't curl her hair, she didn't do her normal makeup, and then we I, we actually stuffed her cheeks. We did the old uh, Marlon Brando thing because we didn't have time to do any kind of appliance work on her, and so forth. And I, I recently watched that with a friend. I showed it to him, and I said, "Look, this movie. Okay, I wrote the film in seven days. When I turned to the script, it took eleven days to pre-produce." And it was shot in four, mm-hmm. in 35 millimeter, because Dave had leftover film stock. This is way before the digital age, mind you. This is back in the 80s. Um, uh, Dave uh, had this leftover film stock. Even had, I think he had leftover production insurance. And his uh, co-producer, John Schuweiler, was getting ready to move out of a rental house into his, uh, his new home in Studio City. So... Uh, they moved out in the middle of the month, so we had a few days left. So we had this empty house that the entire movie was shot in. Wow! Backyard, garage, everything. So that's and, that's really cool, though. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it was shot in four days in thirty. Four days. Millimeter. Four days. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most movies these days, even on video, can't even be shot in that. No, no, no. I, and I got to tell you, I think there was only one day that went over twelve hours. Huh? Yeah. I so mean, how long was the movie though? Was it ninety it, minutes or? It, it's a, it's somewhere between eighty ninety minutes. You know, which is kind of typical for most independent films even today. Um, you know, the the. I mean, there's not a lot of coverage of the film, and which is actually a, a tribute to uh, 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 the girls. And this is this is one of those things that, you know, I mean, Brinklin and Michelle were basically known as, as, as you know, sexy babes that that uh, you know got naked a lot in films. And I, you know, I thought, why? Hey, let's 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 have some fun with this. Let's give them a challenge. Let's have them play these these nerdy girls. And, you know, actually give them a lot of dialogue to do, which was actually kind of a daring move because I wasn't even sure at the time, I was much younger then, I wasn't even sure at the time that they could actually handle it. Uh, and, you know, especially on such a short shooting schedule, it was practically like learn, doing a play, you know. They had to learn literally pages of dialogue. And there's this one scene early in the film that uh, the three of them are sitting on the couch, and it's a three-shot, and it goes on for pages. And Dave didn't do any coverage. Oh, wow. So, I mean, mean, it was basically like watching them do a play. And they do a great job. I'm just watching it again. I'm sitting here going, my God, they they, they were were really up for for this, you know. And, again, I think it's because – you know, I, and, and this is something, this is a, probably a tip out there to a lot of independent filmmakers, you know, and when they're going, oh, gee, I'm wondering if I can get so-and-so to do this or something like that. It's like, hey, instead of worrying about, oh, gee, can I afford them for one day or half a day or something like that just so I can get some kind of name in my film, here's a thought. Give them something really meaty, something really juicy, something they're not typically ever able to do. And even even on my film, The Halfway House, a lot of the girls I hired were a, a, a whole new crop of screen queens that basically, the you know, if you looked at their resumes, they basically took off their clothes, took a shower, and got killed. 
you know, and uh, quite a few of them, like uh, Janet Tracy Kaiser, Athena DeMoss, uh, Stephanie Lees, um, uh, uh, turned out to be amazingly talented actresses that, you know, had never really gotten a chance to show their stuff. Uh, I mean, well, they showed their stuff, but, I mean, showed their acting ability. Uh, <laughs> they, they showed some kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, they showed a lot of stuff. And, and, but, you know, and they were much more comfortable with doing that because they actually got to have a role, you know, uh, uh, attached to it. And, uh, you know, that's the thing I see in a lot of these, um, you know, in a lot of B-movies where they say, oh, okay, well, we're going to have to just throw in some ringer here who, you know, gets naked and dies because, you know, our leading actress won't do this or won't do that and so forth. I mean, it it, it, it depends on how you write the thing, you know, because I was actually even concerned on my last film because, uh, I mean, with the exception of our, our star name, who was Mary Warrenoff, who was, you know, um, you know, not, it was playing an evil nun and not a character that you would expect any nudity from even though she had done a bunch in her earlier days and probably would have if we asked her. But, you know, the bottom line is, you know, she was one of the only females in the film that did not get naked. And, uh, you know, but, the, the uh, but I, you know, so I was concerned initially because I didn't, you know, I, you know, um, Linnea, Brink, and Michelle were my contemporaries, you know, back in the 80s. So I said, okay, well, you know, we I need to find, you know, some new girls that are, you know, uh, the the new Scream Queens, and uh, I was very happy with what I found. See, that's the thing. I, I realized, uh, uh, you know, like you, you've been there, you've been around for a while doing stuff, and you've met a lot of people. So was it easier for you? Hollywood. What? 25 years in Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. You've met a lot of people. You've uh, You've gone to conventions, and you've done, you know, you've done enough stuff where you can get your name out there and just meet different people and become friends with a lot of them. And um, so is it easier for you to get, like, cast now than it probably was back when you first started? Well, it was weird. When I did Halfway House, it was one of those things where I had not directed a movie in something like 18 years. I'd written a few things since then, but I was I was starting completely from scratch. And... Um, um, one of the early things I did is uh, the the working title of the film was "Gut Eating Monsters from Hell," and we actually named the uh, the, the the behind the scenes documentary that that's on the unrated DVD. Um, but it just kind of I had done so many campy titles, you know. I was a teenage sex mutant, test tube teens from the year two thousand. You know, I was a teenage bimbo. Uh, 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 that kind of stuff. It was like uh, at this, in this day and age, I realized that too many people, uh, too many companies, you know, like Troma and stuff like that, have have uh, milked that conceit to death. You know, the, the 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 goofy title, and it's almost now like a warning sign that. Oh, if it's got a really cool, funny title, the the, the film sucks shit through a silly straw. <laughs> uh, you know, it, 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 yeah, because basically, you know, the yeah, the title's the only thing amusing about this film anymore. And the only thing clever about the movie, it's yeah, the title. exactly. Well, yeah. sometimes, sometimes, but sometimes, sometimes. Also, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I'm not saying there aren't exceptions. There's a diamond but, in the rough. 
like you know. I, I, but for the most part, you know, I you know I I you know I mean basically I mean I've literally been in interviews with, with at more legitimate companies where they've looked at the titles of my resume and and you know you can tell they're suppressing laughs you know with, with your titles. titles. Well, yeah. I mean that's the thing. I mean, yeah, with with bigger, you know, bigger groups and bigger uh, like interviews and stuff. I'm sure you get the people who who uh, don't really even know why they're interviewing somebody who oh. had names like that in their title. Well, exactly. I mean, I literally have had meetings with agents, and you know, they look at these things, and you know, these these movies were, you know, I mean, they were shot on film. I mean, I, I don't think I'm trying to think. I don't think anything I ever did got a theatrical release, uh, but. Uh, you know, they, you know, they were, you know, some of them were fairly high budget, and they got, you know, fairly prestigious DVD or, or video releases in the day. And yet, you know, I mean, you know, these agents, because, you know, they're low budget films, and when you're talking 10% of a relatively low salary, that's not something they're interested in, so they don't bother with them. So they they look at these things and go, I've never heard of any of this stuff, and I'm like, well, I'm not surprised you haven't. Uh, you, uh, uh, so, uh, and, you know, I mean, frankly, you know, I mean, I, I, I've had, I've had treatment, you know, uh, with people looking at my resume, I feel like, gee, I probably would have done better if I'd done porn, you know, I mean, it, it, I mean, but. <laughs> that's, hey, porn's coming back in a big way now. <laughs> oh, well, I, I mean, it's the biggest industry here in the San Fernando Valley is porn, but, uh. <laughs> But it's it's not something I'm interested in doing because I mean, I mean if you look back, there's a wonderful documentary out there on uh, 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 I think it's called Inside Deep Throat. That's absolutely amazing. It's actually played on basic cable, and it actually even has a couple of hardcore shots in it. That's that even kind of surprised me. I'd, I'd seen the film years ago and. You know, but I mean that was back in the day when you know people were uh, uh, doing sex films that had storylines and plots and characters and so forth. But I mean, porn right now is just an industry. It's even, it's even worse now with that video because of video and stuff. So. <laughs> well, video, but then now it's like you know, you know. Yeah, the internet. I mean, you know, you download, you know, like a five, you know, five minute clip, get your rocks off, and you know, uh, you're done. You know, now go back to MySpace or something. Uh, so yeah, it's it, it's you know, it, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, it, it, I mean, believe me, it serves a function. And uh, there are a few friends of mine I know. Uh, um, uh, a couple. Oh God, I don't want to say the real names because uh, they. Uh, Oh, and I'm going to blank on their uh, on their their nom de porn, so I'm probably not going to mention them. But I know some film, uh, some people who were up for a uh, the SDA award last year with a with a really cool and kind of innovative uh, adult film that had uh, 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 some genre elements, even, and it even called the New Neighbors. Uh, it was a very cool film. Uh, but you know, I mean, and, and you know, there are some people still that are trying to do quality work within that industry, but it, it's it's really, really tough because basically, you know, you're just talking about, you know, the majority is loops on the Internet, you know, kind of thing now. Right. So um, as far as the movies back in the 80s that you had done compared to what, what you do now, like with the Halfway House or whatever, is it is it a completely different industry, you think, like completely, like, Compared. Well, 
There's, okay. In the 80s, I mean, we were coming in from a point where, I mean, uh, home video, you know, which was, of course, VHS back then. It was tape. But, I mean, it's still, it's still, you know, stuff you go and rent in a video store. It doesn't matter whether it's VHS, DVD, or anything. I mean, it was the same kind of market back then. Uh, I mean, this was a the first time, even beyond cable, where you had, um, you know, the ability to, for people to go and, you know, uh, pick what they wanted to see when they wanted to see it. And when that market opened up, I mean, obviously the big studios started, you know, putting all their huge, vast libraries out on VHS, and they and and they would put it out a little at a time. So it took almost a decade for a, a lot of even the mainstream films of the past to come out, you know. But you know, obviously, unlike prior to that, where once a movie came went out of release. You know, your only hope of ever seeing it was on television somewhere. You know, you couldn't buy it, you couldn't rent it, you couldn't see it, period, unless it was revived. I mean, I I came from that era, you know, and so the idea that basically within a certain period of time, almost everything that had ever been made, with, with a few exceptions, was available to rent was was an absolutely amazing thing. And of course, once when 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 people started uh, getting their uh, 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 appetites whetted, that's when a bunch of uh, company, little independent video companies, started going, "Hey, we want to start competing with this, but we don't have an, a library of you know thirty, forty years of films to draw from, so we need new material." And so we're going to try to compete with it, and that's when the direct-to-video stuff came out. And, and around that time also, um, or shortly before that, the single-house movie theaters, the drive-ins, started uh, becoming things of the past. The economy was changing, and you know, even single-screen hardtop theaters had a hard time making a go of it. Yeah, because you had all these multiplexes and so forth, and if the film, you know, you weren't banking on this one new release being a hit, you had three, four, five, six, seven, eight uh, films playing at the same time. So if one film was a turkey, you had at least a few other shots of making your money back. Right. Uh, so and drive-ins. You know, uh, even even there were multiple drive-ins for a period of time, and I think it, it was just again it was an economy thing because the amount of uh, space, real estate, and land that it took up, even in smaller communities, certainly out here in California, there's uh, there there are no drive-ins left in uh, in uh, the major metropolitan area. Even in my hometown of Jacksonville, Florida, I think there's only one drive-in theater left. And when, when I left there in the 80s, there were still about five or six left. And when I was growing up, there were probably a couple of dozen. Right. Uh, there's none here in uh, Williamsburg, Virginia, you know. Yeah. Or Virginia, yeah. I think, at all. So yeah, it, it's, it's kind it's, of like a sad thing, too, to see Yeah, that. I mean... And even so, I you know, I mean, and then when I occasionally hear about drive-ins, they like, oh, we're, you know, oh, what did you go see at the drive-in? It's like, oh, we went to see Pirates of the Caribbean. It's like, ah, no, no, no. You, it's not the movie you go to see at a drive-in. You need to, you, you need to be going to see 
of Double Bill of Dr. Butcher Medical Deviant and Horror Hospital. That's what you need to be seeing at <laughs> drive-in. You know, no, you don't need to go be That's seeing two some... teens from beyond. Oh, yeah, well, that actually, I think one of the last things I saw at a drive-in was when the uh, Charlie Band premiered Assault of the Killer Bimbos, which uh, Dave Dakota produced. It was the old Pickwick before they bulldozed that. Huh. But, yeah, you know, so I, think, I, I think the last real drive-in program I saw out here was a double bill of uh, 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 Gates of Hell and Mausoleum back in the 80s. And that's that's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of stuff you need to be seeing at the drive-in. Yep, and everybody's saying in the chat room that they all miss drive-ins too, so... Well, yeah, and, but, you know, I mean, and, and I understand, especially out here in Southern California, real estate is just, you know, I mean, through the roof. And But even even in, you know, uh, in the rest of the country, you know, it, it's it's a, um, you know, it, it's at a premium and the amount of space, I mean, on, on uh, the space you have a single screen drive-in, you could put like a huge multiplex cinema, or, you know, several apartment buildings, condos, you know, practically a shopping mall, you know. And, I mean, unfortunately, that's 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 where our economy is, you know. It's uh, it's a shame, but that's that's the reality. So, I mean, it, when I was back in the 80s, the home video became the drive-in or the grindhouse if you're from the urban areas, I mean, you know, when I when I was pushing halfway house, I said this is a return to the old drive-in exploitation cinema. He he's got a more urban mentality, and he uh, you know Quentin goes to the grindhouses, you know, which were the urban hardtop theaters that showed the you know the the kung fu movies, the the, the nurse Sherry's and the Suspirias and stuff like that. You know, but basically we're talking about the same thing. You know, the 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 independent theaters that ran the the B movies the independents that you know were anything but your art house films you know they were the total total exploitation you know those student nurses you know kind of stuff and uh, you know that's uh, you know whether it was a drive-in or a hardtop grindhouse that's that's what we're talking about but those those were going the way of the buffalo even back in the 80s, so the home video took the place of that. And uh, the problem was, at a certain point, by the late 80s, early 90s, the the uh, home video market got oversaturated. And uh, uh, basically, I mean, you had a lot of people trying to pull the same exploitation techniques they used in... Uh, in um, filmmaking, you know, back in the earlier days, but at a certain point, you know, you had you had more people to answer to. You had the 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 buyers, the uh, the people that that ran the the video store chains or the independent mom and pop video stores buying these movies, and uh, the the people that were renting them. And you could put a really flashy enticing uh cover on your your home video but if it didn't deliver after a while people started getting burned and people stopped renting them and that was the same in the overseas market you know uh people would get enticed by a trailer and so forth like that and buy a movie and then realize oh this is this is horrible this doesn't need this is even 
you know, this isn't even remotely anything like the kind of movie I thought I was buying. Um, so uh, the bottom kind of fell out of the, the video market in the late 80s, early 90s, and that's when I had a, um, you know, major career crisis. And I was one of, like, literally hundreds of guys that had directed a handful of direct-to-video movies and hadn't quite moved up to the point where I was, like, making or owning my own product. So I was I was kind of uh, in a quandary, and I actually went back to my earlier career, which was uh, special, special effects, and I started in, in the mid-90s, I started uh, my own kind of effects uh, specialty costume company, Total Fabrication, which I still have. Do you still do anything with that? or? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's my day job. Oh, okay. That's, yeah, that's a, I mean, I'm, you know, uh, uh, there five days a week normally, uh, sometimes longer when we have big projects, and actually businesses kind of after... We had a, a big slump after 9/11, which is what inspired me to uh, uh, pursue a f- uh, various other uh, avenues, and ultimately led me to do Halfway House and return to filmmaking, which is what you know ultimately I still want to continue doing. But uh, at the at, at this point in time, Total Fabrication is still kind of a big part of the picture for me. Oh, cool! Yeah, and it, it's it's. Unfortunately, not of huge interest to genre fans because, I mean, a lot of the stuff we do is commercial stuff, uh, trade shows, mascots, you know, the cutesy things, dressing up people as food for commercials and things like that. You know, very little monster, horror, blood and guts kind of stuff. Uh, but it's what pays the bills. There you go. Um, so... Uh, you, uh, I just noticed that you had uh, acted in uh, Robot Ninja. Yes, and uh, I still to this day tease Dave Dakota about this because Dave is one of these like you know directors who's a one shot wonder. And Dave got in front of the camera, and he and I did a scene together. I'm the man on the street, and he's the interviewer. And I think we did like nine or ten takes before he got his lines right. <laughs> So he's not an actor. He's a he's a director, oh, okay. but not an actor. No, but in, in his defense, I recently I was uh, just a few weeks ago I was asked to appear in um, uh, a film by William Butler. Although you probably won't see his real name on the finished product because he didn't put his real name on the original uh, Ginger Dead Man as screenwriter, and he just uh, wrote and directed Ginger Dead Man 2, The Passion of the Crust. Uh, Are you serious? That's I'm awesome. Absolute, it's awesome, and it's... it's, it's uh, i gotta, I got to talk to him about that. I think he might be on my MySpace, so... Oh, yeah, you no, know, no, he... Uh, I, I I think you'll talk about it. I but you know it's kind of weird because it's uh, you know it's it's definitely a much lower budget than his other you know recent features like uh, uh, Madhouse and Furnace and stuff like that. So I think that's why he's using a a pseudonym on him. But uh, the but he he enticed me. Actually, it was over the Labor Day weekend. We were over here and he started talking about it. And I said, "Are you really? Are you really? You're going back and doing this for Charlie you know, on this low of a budget, really?" And he said, "Yeah." And I wrote a part for you, and I wrote a part for Dave, and I wrote a part. And 
Uh, he wound up getting, you know, John Carl Beekler and uh, 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 John Vulich and Mike Deke and uh, uh, Greg Nicotero. Uh, and, even, and Michelle Bauer even came out uh, on the show. And uh, uh, yeah, I said, oh, I was a little weirded out about coming back to work for Charlie after all these years, uh, but he wrote this like really cool part for me is um, Lord Astaroth. That's kind of uh, kind of looked like Anton LaVey or Ming the Merciless. The costume definitely looks like Ming the Merciless, but it's this kind of satanic priest like sacrificing uh, overweight virgin to summon up uh, 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 bad puppet demons uh, at the opening of the film. And uh, uh, it turns out that it's actually uh, a movie within a movie. They're shooting this bad film, and the special effect goes awry, and I throw a tantrum on the set and storm off. Uh, and John Beekler is the, playing the director, and Mike Deke is one of the effects guys. And it's, 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 it's a total riff on all the Empire Full Moon movies, you know, Ghoulies, Puppet Master, you name it, you know. And, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's so inside, I'm not 100% sure even how many fans of those films are actually going to get all this stuff because it's, it's, just, it's, it's, it's really scathing. I think Charlie was even a little concerned about, God, this is really close to home. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, it's like, hey, if you do this, you'll be considered a good sport. So he agreed to do it. And I, I didn't read the whole script, but it's it just, it's you know, the stuff I was doing was absolutely hilarious. I mean, we even threw in a, a little uh, ode to Ed Wood and uh, uh, Criswell and the Orgy of the Dead, you know, where we, where I uh, have uh, my acolytes throw gold at the uh, virgin before I stab her. <laughs> you've so. seen, you've actually seen Orgy of the Dead? Oh, good lord! Of course I have. Do you own I mean, it? it? Oh yeah, I own it. Okay, and I own and it I, I, actually, before I owned it, I mean, you could not go over to Scott Spiegel's house for a party and not see Orgy of the Dead <laughs> like on a nonstop loop on his damn television. I'm actually going to be having him on my show pretty soon. Oh. Well, mention Orgy of the Dead. I will. I will I'll mention it's Orgy of the Dead orgy parties there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it was. It was. Yeah. It, it, it's. Yeah. I mean, it's. It's an amazing film because it's like you know adapted from one of Ed Wood's erotic novels, and you know how to make a a a, a nudie film masquerading as a horror film with you know. With, a cheesy graveyard set, a burnt-out psychic, and a Dracula cape, and a bunch of strippers. You know, it's it's it's. I mean, there's nothing else on the planet like Orgy of the Dead. Yeah, I yeah I remember seeing because uh, I got it on uh, Amazon because you know I I collect all the wood stuff. You know, got the box set and got you know got that even got that was the Beast uh, was it the Bride and the Beast or whatever the. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, which was just cheesy. Oh <laughs> you know, well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's you know, it's one of those typical, you know, you know, uh, 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 boy meets girl, girl, boy loses girl, girl meets gorilla, you know, gorilla gets girl, you know, kind of movies, you know. Yeah, and it's you know, it's kind of shocking ending there, you know, but uh, you know, it was it was good, it was good. I like. And then later that. in the seventies, they redid it as Tanya's Island, but. They redid it as what? 
Tanya's Island? You never saw Tanya's Island? No, I never even heard of it. Oh, my God. It was some, I don't know, a bunch of French Canadians decided to do this kind of erotic art film with this actress named Dee Dee Winters, who uh, later became Vanity. Hmm. Singer Vanity. And it's kind of a love triangle between her and her kind of, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, out there boyfriend and an ape on an island. That just sounds awesome, right, in itself, you know? Yeah, and the ape uh, and the ape was created by Rob Bottin and played by a good friend of mine, Don McLeod, who specialized in playing gorillas in movies. He was the American tourist gorilla who used to beat up luggage on commercials. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, yeah. So you've got Don in an ape suit sodomizing, you know, uh, vanity in, in a jungle somewhere. It's like... It's uh, it, 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 it's 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 very, it's a very tender film. Hmm. Well, I, I I just noticed this. Um, you're you're mentioning John Carl uh, John Carl Buechler, right? Yeah. Uh, Be- Beekler is the correct pronunciation. Beekler. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it, no problem. Looks, no, no, because no, he probably gets it a lot too. Buechler, Buechler, Blackley. You know, he's like, yeah. how the hell do you pronounce your goddamn name? No, it's Beekler. Yeah, but it's Beekler. Okay. So if I ever get to talk to him, I won't mispronounce yeah. his name now. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'll have an excuse, but uh, to know it now. But you no, know, I just saw he's uh, he's redoing uh, Troll. Uh, I've heard that. You know, I I, I don't know what the uh, what the official story is on that, but yeah, he's um, looking looking forward to doing that. So. Well, that's really cool, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you you, however, other than just working on. Um, uh, working on a puppet master, you also helped out on Ghoulies. Oh yeah, well, that was well. It wasn't necessarily my first Charlie Band film because I did random PA work, and I even was they play appeared as a werewolf in Dungeon Master, which came out after Ghoulies, but was actually shot before Ghoulies. And um, no, I uh, uh, wound up uh, uh, you know uh, meeting Beekler on uh, Dungeon Master. And when they needed some extra puppeteers on the first Ghoulies, uh, I was not involved in actually making any of the puppets, but I was uh, uh, my brother Cleve and I were puppeteers on it. We actually have a credit in the film, and this is one of more, one of my more hysterical screen credits of all time. Additional Ghoulie operator. And That's what it says on uh, IMDb. Additional yeah. Ghoulie operator. Additional Ghoulie operator, which apparently I found out over in England, Ghoulie is kind of a kind of slang for testicles. <laughs> really? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I you know, I, that, that, that's what somebody told me. It's like, oh, okay, well, I, then I won't, uh, I won't uh, brag about that too much because I don't want to be uh, necessarily pigeonholed as an additional Ghoulie operator. <laughs> I didn't see where you were going with her, but that was awesome. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I didn't even get where, why you would uh, be, uh, you know, but then I was like, oh, additional ghoulie operator, not good. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I mean, I mean even, uh, even principal ghoulie operator would be better, but additional, come on. Additional, you, know? you have to, you, you have to yeah. get the one ghoulie, you know. Yeah, you know, it's like, you know, it doesn't it just, it just be left hanging, but anyway. Um, <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on, uh, but again, and then of course later on, of course, uh, you know, I wound up being like one of the uh, 
like the shop supervisor and I actually went over to Italy uh with for Charlie with with you know a bunch of great people like Mike Deke and Billy Butler on uh, Ghoulies 2 audience nothing uh but uh and that was directed Was that by, the original title for it? No 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 that's uh, that's my uh, title. Oh okay that was an awesome. Yeah. Uh <laughs> Yeah, it's it's. Uh, the, the, yeah, I didn't know because I I know that uh, Charlie did a lot of weird titles for his movies, so I thought maybe that was the original title for it. No, no, and that that's just, that's just our personal title for it. But uh, no, it it, it was uh, basically I looked at it as okay, it's a chance to go to Italy, and uh, I was there for a couple of months. Um, although I got to see precious little of Italy because we were stuck in the studio most of the time, uh, and it was the old. Uh, Charlie was renting the old Dina Città at the time, which was Dino De Laurentiis' studio from the 60s. Uh, and uh, that's the place, uh, well, uh, where Mario Bava shot a lot of stuff for him, including uh, uh, some of the actual studio you can see in the movie Danger Diabolic with uh, John Philip Law, uh, which is really cool. And uh, actually, when we were there, and I... I don't think I got any photos of this, and I'm kicking myself for it, but uh, one of the old black guard ships from Barbarella was actually out on the back lot, rotting away. That's, wow. Yeah. So that's, uh, you, you could have got that, or? Well, I'm, no, I'm, no, I mean, it was a, it was a full-size ship. I don't think I could have Yeah, you could have taken it. It was, it was larger than a Volkswagen, so no, I, no, but I, I wish I at least got photos of it, but I don't think I ever did that. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. But, uh... Way before MySpace, so, you know, I would have gotten that there. Yeah. yeah. De- definitely a little bit before MySpace, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was saying, Internet, huh? Computers, <laughs> huh? What? I mean, we're talking about 19, I think, I think we're talking about 86, 1986, I think. See, if you think about it, like, back in the day, gosh, you know, you've, you've gone kind of through a lot, you know, uh, you, you kind of lived through a lot. Like, when I was born, I was born in 82, so, you know. Um, that was the year I moved to Southern California. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you had kind of lived through a lot, like, right there, you know, like. You were probably what twenty or eighteen. Uh, I well, uh, I I I'll I'll admit it because you can look me up on IMDb and MySpace. I just turned forty nine. Oh. So I was I I think I turned twenty four shortly after I came out here in uh, in nineteen eighty two. Oh wow! So. so and I just so I just celebrated my twenty fifth anniversary here. Oh well, that's good though. Yeah. Yeah, 25 years in Hollywood and still alive. And, and still doing stuff in there because a lot of people quit after probably, you know, or move away. <laughs> no, and, and and uh, you know, I've had, I've had some rough times out here. And, uh, uh, I mean, there were times where I actually questioned, and I was like, well, you know, like, you know, I'm an intelligent person. I could probably make a hell of a lot better living and lead, have a lot better lifestyle somewhere else. But, you know, unfortunately, uh, even back when I was a little kid, I was totally, you know, I mean, uh, I always I always wanted to be in movies, and, uh, um, you know, the whole idea of, 
you know, coming out here. And, I mean, I literally got a job. Back in the 80s, that was the the renaissance of uh, uh, makeup effects out here. So I literally got a job in a week. Oh, wow. On, at the Berman Studio on Space Hunter Adventures of, in the Forbidden Zone and in uh, uh, 3D uh, within a week after going on three interviews. Oh, that's, um, but that's good because uh, the one thing I'm always wondering about is how somebody goes about, especially back in the 80s when you didn't really, I mean, did you just learn from like from experience of how to do that stuff, or no? I, I mean, or? I I I I I'd done a lot of stuff. I mean, I um um I mean the 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 information on uh, makeup effects and things like that was certainly not as 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 accessible um uh then as it is now. You know, there aren't there certainly weren't any schools that were offering courses in it. Uh, and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, we we researched it as much as we could. And actually, uh, in 1977, uh, a bunch of us went to a convention in Texas and uh, and met Rick Baker. And this was and this is before Rick Baker had achieved the status that uh, um, he has now, certainly. Uh, but Rick was, uh, I mean, he'd worked with Dick Smith on The Exorcist, and he played King Kong in the Del Arenas film, and he'd done some of the Cantina aliens for inserts in Star Wars. Um, and But we knew him uh, because, I mean, the magazine of the day, I mean, Starlog had just kind of come into uh, uh, existence, and I think Fangoria hadn't even really... Uh, started being published, uh, but uh, uh, I was from. We were all familiar with Rick Baker through Famous Monsters of Filmland, which was the thing that got a lot of people from my generation into the whole genre thing. Um, and uh, so, I mean, we went out to this convention, met Rick Baker, and uh, we had some costumes. I entered a a uh, Metaluna mutant costume my brother and I had had made uh um in our bedroom at home in Florida uh in the contest and they had some you know Godzilla suits and so forth like that that they had on display at the show and and Rick Baker later came and hey you guys are obviously really into this stuff you know and literally invited us up to his hotel room to sit around and talk shop because you know he did like a Q&A at you know for the convention crowd, but most of the people were just kind of fans, oh, what's it like to work in movies, you know, and, and we he obviously knew we were interested in learning more technical stuff, and he had been given a lot of help in his early career by uh, Dick Smith, so he in turn, was, back then, was way more accessible than he, he can be now, you know, because there's so many people that want to talk to Rick Baker, but back then, he was very accessible and gave us tips and tricks, and and one of my old friends from Florida actually uh, moved out uh, to California before I did, and he wound up uh, ultimately working for Rick on uh, on uh, a few things, including the Thriller video. Oh wow! I keep forgetting he did that. So yeah, it's, it's just funny that he would do that because that just like today, you know, when when people see uh, see that today, I'm sure they're like, oh well, anybody can do that these days, but. 
that that video is probably one of the you know one of the well, it, yeah it, it was it, it was it was groundbreaking in many ways i mean john landis directed and john landis was huge at the time john landis had just gotten off american werewolf in london and of course working with rick and michael jackson was was huge and you know at the time scandal free and uh uh you know it was i i i actually the first time i saw the thriller video was in a movie theater because they uh this was this was back when they were spending lots of money on music videos i god only knows how many millions of dollars that video cost and uh uh they actually gave it a theatrical release because they were actually trying to see if they could get it nominated for an oscar wow and but they they put it in the theaters. Was that before a movie or something? Yeah, it was before uh, before a re-release of Fantasia. But the film, because people were bringing their kids to see Fantasia, and the and the video was kind of intense, you know, and scary. They actually had to make an announcement in the theater and <coughs> Westwood, where I saw it. You know, that if you've got real young children, you might want to take them outside until after this. But wasn't um but wasn't I guess uh you know, in a way Fantasia scary? Well, <laughs> I mean Fantasia was made in like nineteen forty, forty one or something like that and I guess Night on Bald Mountain, you know, might have been intense in the day, but you know, I don't know, compared to Thriller it was it was pretty it was nothing. You know, it was a day good. in the park. <laughs> yeah. Um and uh, so, uh, as far as you know, meeting all these people, did you get? A, did you ever get a chance to meet John Landis and people like that? I, I actually, I actually, a funny thing. I, uh, I, I have met John Landis a couple of times uh, uh, recently. I'd seen, I'd seen him around at conventions and shows years ago. I got to, I was at a, um, a thing at the Motion Picture Academy where Jim Henson was speaking. And uh, uh, Landis was a big Henson fan, and actually, I think, been a guest puppeteer on the Muppet movie, and was there and kind of uh, shouting out things from the audience at Jim and stuff like that. Uh, um, and Jim was showing clips from their movies and things like that. And actually, it was very cool. He pulled, he was standing at a podium and actually had Kermit hidden under there and pulled Kermit out at the very end. And uh did Kermit for us. Uh so uh but no I, I'd seen John around for years but I never actually met him. And uh 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 a friend of mine who helped us with the publicity and one of the associate producers on the Halfway House, I guess uh is kind of uh, uh kind of in a whole email circle with guys like Landis and uh, uh Joe Dante and people like that. And actually sent out screeners of the halfway house to all these guys, and um, uh, I don't know if any of the other guys he sent it to ever watched it, but they never responded. But Landis did, and actually Landis uh, contacted uh, my friend Sam and goes, "Oh boy, you got a lot of nice looking naked ladies in that film." <laughs> Sam, uh, being uh, being the uh, true uh, you know. Uh, PR machine that he is. So, John, can we quote you that? And he goes, uh, uh, actually, let me give you a different quote, you know, <laughs> official quote. And John's official quote was, good old-fashioned drive-in exploitation fun. Oh, good okay. old drive-in exploitation, which is actually on the DVD cover. 
cut to a couple of years later when the uh, when the film actually got released and uh, or or we actually I don't think I actually had the release copies yet, but I had the advance uh, box art. And I'm at the uh, at my table at Fangoria, and Landis walks by. Hey, John, you know, uh, hey, we actually used your quote on the DVD box, and he I think he had actually remembered what he had originally said, and he kind of looked scared for a moment and went, grabbed up the DVD and looked at it and realized we used the official quote as opposed to his original content and relaxed and he was Yeah, well thank God he didn't actually do the other one. But now now people know I guess what he had kind of, you know, meant to say. You know, yeah. but but it's okay because uh he isn't he wasn't he the director, if I'm not mistaken, he was the director of uh Kentucky Fried Movie. So or something Which I gotta tell you is 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 one of the uh uh staples of my uh D V D collection. As a matter of fact, for some reason my copy uh got screwed up and I, I uh couldn't couldn't go out and replace it fast enough. It's it's just one of those movies. Uh and I first heard about it actually from Rick Baker, uh when uh, when we first met him back in the seventies. And I said, So what are you doing lately? He said, Well, I made this gorilla suit and I use it in this John Landis film called Kentucky Fried Movie, you know, I'm just in a little segment playing a gor- gor- gorilla. It's and, and he's just this kind of oh, it's really good bad taste humor. And I said, Oh, it sounds like fun and I went to see it in the theater, of course Rick only has like a little Bit as a rampaging gorilla in the film, but yeah, that that film is just like oh, it's. And who would have known that those guys who wrote that would go off to be you know uh, the Zucker brothers and uh, Jim Abrams? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, no. I just like I I just watched Scary Movie Four on cable, which I hadn't caught in the theater. And I, you know, it's still it's what it, it takes a lot to get me to laugh out loud when I'm completely by myself, and I did laugh out loud. Their 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 stuff is just great. Yeah, I mean, I'm still a big fan of them. I think they actually, I think it just mispronounced their name. I think it's Zucker, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. Is it Zucker or Zucker? Uh, I I. I I I don't know. I've never it's actually It's like Buechler and Buechler. You just yeah. <laughs> you can't, yeah. can't tell yeah. unless you actually know. Yeah, it. It's like Michael Goff from the old Hammer films who played Alfred the Butler in the uh, uh, in the Batman films. Mm-hmm. But I, but uh, for years I I I was constantly pronouncing it as Michael Go, even though it's G O U G H. But I thought the GH was silent, like through or something like that. But then somebody said, no, it's Michael Goff. Like, oh, okay. I've never had that officially confirmed. However, however, uh, the late great Jack Palance, um, uh, you know, who is, you know, major, major villain, of course, won the Oscar for City Slickers and so forth. I got to work with him. And he was probably the one actor that has ever truly, truly intimidated me. Hmm. Because I mean, you know, if you know who I'm talking about, yeah, I know, I know, I know Jack Palance. And uh, this was a few years after he'd won the Oscar, and uh, I mean, he's like six four or something like that, and he was a little stooped at the time, but still, and a little, little long in the tooth, but still. Very intimidating. His voice, and, yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, 
And, uh, yeah. And, uh, no, it's so funny because I've heard so many of you, oh, uh, Mr. Plants and so forth like that. No. It's Palance. It's Palance. He may, he, uh, you know, I've always, for some reason, I've always known him as uh, being Jack Palance. I guess, yeah. you know, I've heard people say his name so many times that, you know, it kind of yeah. gets stuck in your head. Yeah. Yeah, no. Jack, Jack was Jack was incredibly cool. He was one of those actors that was like, you you had to tread a really thin line with him because, you know, I mean, he walked in my shop and you know, I mean, I was in my, you know, late thirties, you know, probably almost forty at the time. But he, you know, and, and but uh, I think Billy Butler was there at the time working with me and so forth. And but I mean, to him, we all looked like kids, you know. A bunch of kids, um, and uh, you know, so it's like you know. Unfortunately, as somebody from his generation, you know, it's kind of sad they make the assumption that you know uh, that we had no idea who the hell he was. And uh, he, he didn't want you to kiss his ass, but at the same time, you know, he truly appreciated the fact that we really did know. Oh no no. We definitely I know who you are. <laughs> you know, I mean, I even know as as far as like he was even in the original Batman, like in, oh, in yeah. Burton first Batman. Well, and unfortunately, I mean, Jack was getting on in years, and his memory was a little spotty for things. And actually, the the thing I truly remembered him from, and it this is out on DVD. It was a Dan Curtis production. It was made for television in the late 60s. It was a uh, uh, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And it was, the, it was actually the first um, um, legitimate version of that story that I'd ever seen produced, you know, before I ever saw, you know, uh, the old Frederick March film or Spencer Tracy or any of the other stuff. And uh, I, it still has a very, even though it was shot on video up in Canada, and it now has that kind of, um, well, it, they even used all this old Dark Shadows music in it, so it has that kind of, you know, soap opera video look to it. But, I mean, it's got Jack Palance and Denholm Elliott and Billy Whitelaw and Leo Ginn and... Uh, Oscar Homolka, all these cool actors in it, uh, uh, and you know it's 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 uh, you know it still is one of uh, it's my absolute favorite performance of his, and unfortunately, you know he'd gotten to the point where certain parts of his memory were not quite clear, and I mentioned that, and he had this really kind of pained look on his face. He goes, "Oh, that was so many years ago." And I knew, and it was kind of very sad. I thought, okay, I'm not going to get hit, get to hear any cool reminiscences about this because he's forgotten them. Right. But well, um, actually, that, that Jack Jack was Jack uh, turned out to be a very very cool guy, and he actually did. Um, one of my crew guys was doing um, an art show down at the Queen Mary uh, at Long Beach. It was like a combination of visual art and spoken word and Jack Jack was a published poet and Jack actually took a shine to him and actually agreed to go down and do a public reading for one of my crew guys. Oh, that's cool. That was really yeah. nice of him. Yeah, no, he was he was great. He was great. 
Uh, he had a very, uh, very uh, sketchy uh, reputation because I think in his earlier years he he uh, he liked to drink and uh, apparently it could be very problematic on sets. But my experience with him, you know, um, you know, after getting over the fact that I was absolutely terrified by him, you know, he was he was very cool. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. Um, so I'm going to take some questions from the people in the chat room. Um, okay. They've been kind of uh, asking questions before, and they stopped, I guess, because they're listening. <laughs> yes, you know. Oh, well. But um, uh, let's see. Uh, one of the questions that uh, was asked um, uh, by one of my friends, Jeremy, he said that uh, he asked about the Linnea Quigley um, horror video. That you had the done. horror workout. The horror workout. What did he Is that available? No, actually, I guess I'll use this to do a little PR. Hopefully, uh, sometime fairly soon, I have the only uh, only existing master tape of that, and I'm not. I, I to be honest, I don't know what condition it's in. Hopefully, we won't have to do much restoration, but uh, I do intend to uh, put that out on DVD sometime within the next year or two. Um, Because it's only, uh, I mean, you can find old used copies on VHS, you know, that's all I've got, you know, uh, here. And I've actually seen people at various conventions bootlegging it. Somebody just told me you can see clips from it on YouTube, and it's like, I didn't authorize that. But, was you know, was it a really cool though? Was it is it a really cool video? Well, it's a piece of it's a piece of history that I I I you know um, here's the origin of it. Um, Dave Dakota was shooting a movie called Murder Weapon um, that is also I think you know in the in the nether world right now. I know it's never been reissued. It was a slasher film that came out at a weird time, and they. Uh, the foreign distributors said, oh, slasher films aren't selling, so let's market it as an action film. So if you see the poster to it, it's got Linnea and Karen Russell, you know, in sexy outfits holding guns. And there's not a gun in the whole movie. It's a bunch of people in a house getting killed. Um, So, uh, but uh, I, I visited the stage. They were doing some pickups, and Linnea's killing some guy with a sledgehammer. And so Linnea, you know, who's like, five foot nothing, a very petite little thing, holding this rubber sledgehammer. And because of the camera angle, she has to be really precise hitting a mark. So it's kind of a very mechanical-looking thing, up and down, up and down, hit your mark with this rubber sledgehammer. And I I just kind of just walked on the set, and I'm watching this, and it's so funny-looking. I said, gee, this looks like an exercise routine. We should do Linnea Quigley's horror workout. And everybody howled with laughter. And as the laughter was dying down, I'm sitting there thinking, hmm, that's actually not a bad idea. And within a few weeks, we put together this whole idea, this project, and Dave Dakota and another investor put up the money, and we shot it on um, Betacam back in the day as the way before you know, affordable like digital, digital video, and yeah, affordable digital video. We had to go through all all the hideous video all, uh, offline, online editing, and all the kind of crap. We actually had to do a twenty-four channel studio sound mix and so forth. It was it was horrendous. 
uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I cringe at some of the technical stuff we had to put up with back then. So you're was, the you're the uh, person who created it, right? Pretty much, you're the one who kind of came up uh, with the basically, idea. Basically, uh, basically, yeah. I had just done a movie called Ghost Rider in 35 millimeter that was a uh, that was a uh, wound up becoming a syndicated movie of the week, and uh, uh, I did not. I used a pseudonym. As the the writer director on it, although I I use my real name as from a concept by, but I wrote, produced, and directed the thing. I gave the producer credit to our our assistant director, uh, production manager Fred Kenimer, but uh, Hal Kennedy is me. Okay. Um, the question and I the IMDb uh, completely blew my uh, cover. So yeah. uh, you know, I, you know, I might might talk to you like personally about this, but I think that. Um, I think that it would be awesome if you could do like a, another uh, horror workout, but just with another screen queen. Like that, I think that is that's something that would sell nowadays, definitely. Well, it's hard to say. I don't. I don't know if exercise video. Uh, this is back in the day when exercise video. Like Jane Fonda's workout. Yeah, we're, we're, we're yeah, and we we hyped it as a time as the scariest exercise video ever made, which of course. Even then was kind of a kind of hype because I think anything Richard Simmons did was way oh, scarier. Richard Simmons, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think mean, uh, that. And was almost, uh, I keep forgetting <laughs> about him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's 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 kind of hard to. It's 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 scarred many many a person. But uh, no, I mean we we did it. the only thing I the only complaint I have with the horror workout is. Uh, uh, the investors insisted on an hour long running time, and I thought, okay, this is fine. We went in and shot it. We got a bunch of clips from different people, from Charlie Band and Rick Sloan and stuff like that to beef it up. Uh, we couldn't use any of her, um, her her union pictures and so forth at the time, uh, so we couldn't use any clips from Return of the Living Dead. So it was pretty uh, much just like it was a it was just a bunch of clips made into. No, 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 no. We had we had clips in it. No, no, but no, no. There's a ton of original material. The problem <laughs> was. It wasn't intended as a serious exercise video, but the exercise segments wound up going for running time. We wound up going, it kept going and going and going, and it's like, okay, this is starting to get boring because nobody's going to really exercise to this. We should cut it short and move on. And I wanted to cut it down to thirty minutes. And the the the, the investors all said, no, no, you said it was going to be sixty minutes. It has to be sixty minutes. So my my statement about the hard workout is it's it's I think it's fun, it's funny, it's cool, it's cute, but uh once they start there's three major uh exercise routines in it. After the first couple of minutes you need to grab the fast forward button and move on. Yeah, exactly. So okay. But if, if if I put it out, I will probably put it out in its original length because, you know, I mean, for a DVD release, 60 Minutes is still short. But what I will do is uh, my intention is to, um, and I even talked to Lene about this when I did a phone interview uh, with her recently on Cult Radio, uh, that, you know, I'll either fly her out or fly to Florida, and we're going to record a commentary track and maybe even do some on-camera interviews. Well, that would be pretty cool. I think people, a lot of people will buy it. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I don't know. 
I honestly don't know. You know, I, I certainly don't expect to make a fortune with it, but I, I kind of feel bad that that's one of the... I mean, all my other films, sooner or later, are going to come out on DVD, whether I want them to or not. Uh, but this thing, this is a thing that I created and I co-owned, and I have the only surviving master tape of it, and, you know... If for no other reason, I, it needs, you know, uh, for posterity's sake, I think it needs to be preserved and not just some bootleggers at conventions, you know, making DVDs off the old VHS. Sweet. So we'll, we will remaster it. We'll do a, a, a commentary track, maybe some on-camera interviews and so It'll forth. It'll be digital there. surround sound? Uh, don't, don't get your hopes up. But, uh, <laughs> you know... Uh, you know, Do a Skywalker Ranch for you? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it, it's like uh, a few years back, I saw uh, a, a restored version of Female Trouble, uh, John Waters' film over at the Egyptian Theater, as he was going on about all how all the things they did to like improve it, you know, uh, you know, and he's he's going on and on and on, and all of a sudden he stops his. Well, listen. It's look. It still looks bad. I mean, we could only do so much, you know. <laughs> it's like that was actually a really good imitation of uh, John Waters right there, too. I don't know if you yeah. meant to do that or not, but you yeah. know his his voice. You know, you can pretty much mimic him pretty well, too. So, um, but uh, yeah, John. John's you know an interesting uh, interesting guy, too. So no, I I mean I I've, I've, I I I. I think I've sort of met him in passing. I've seen him at various screenings and, you know, uh, showings of his work and so forth like that. I think I think the first time I saw him was way back in the 80s when he was actually hosting a William Castle retrospective at the New Art where they were showing, like, movies like The Tingler and Homicidal and 13 Ghosts. And I, you know, I've I read his books. Uh, so he's doing a book signing Friday night that I, uh, out here. He's got some new book out. I'm curious about, and my God, I, 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 I he is. I mean, if, yeah. If you look on my MySpace page, it's like uh, 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 there are three independent filmmakers that I absolutely idolize and admire, and one of them is John Waters uh, because he is probably the most personal filmmaker. You know, I mean, I'm. Uh, he's got this whole weird, trashy, uh, twisted sensibility, you know, coming out of an upper-middle-class family in Baltimore where he was this, like, you know, you know, homosexual, hippie, drug experimenter, you know, got crazy independent filmmaker at the time, and now... He's almost, you know, it's it's so funny because he's almost become, you know, a respectable institution. You know, it's like he's almost like he's the, he's personally challenged with like, well, God, how can I offend people now? You know, it's like they're they're all accepting me and embracing me. And you know, even one of his films has been adapted into a, a Broadway musical for crying out loud, which has then been turned into another movie. You know, it's like, you know. Uh, but yeah, this, uh, but John himself, I mean, especially if you read his books and really hear where he was coming from and what was motivating him at the time and so forth like that, you know, I, I, I truly admire him. Another one is uh, is the late, great Russ Meyer, who uh, 
uh, one of his uh, great quotes was, you know, well, if I hadn't had such a fascination with a female bosom, I might have actually made some good films, but in the end, I just had a good time. But, I mean, he was an absolutely, one of the most totally independent filmmakers of his day, and, uh, you know, I mean, you look at Faster Pussycat, Kill, Kill, and you want to talk about a masterpiece. Yeah, exactly. See, I mean, I know who he is, and I've never actually seen any of his movies, and I feel really bad because being an independent, you know, um, you know, uh, film study guy, you know, I pretty much study a lot of independent films. I just, there's something, you know, I just haven't watched a lot of them, you know. Yeah, you you got you got to you got to catch up with your Russ Meyer, you know. Uh, even his later stuff, which got more and more more and more sexual, you know, and everybody considered him the king of the nudies and stuff like that. But the point is, uh, um, Pastor Pussycat virtually has no nudity in it. So you don't see a nipple in the whole film. It's black and white, but, I mean, uh, his earlier films are more violent than they are sexy, but it's like, I mean, you've got a, you know, a trio of uh, psychotic go-go dancers on, on a crime spree in, in, in the middle of the desert and, you know, uh, you know, driving around in hot rods and, you know, Tura Satana and black leather, you know, uh, you know uh, when she loses the drag race, she kills her opponent in a karate fight and it's a guy, you know, it's like, you know, it doesn't get much better than that. No, it's it, you know, yeah, it, it, it's a basic. And then, uh, thankfully, one of the few films that he did not own, uh, where when he actually went to work for a big studio and made Beyond the Valley of the Dolls for 20th Century Fox, that finally came out on DVD, and that's just uh, that's just you know uh, a big slap in the face you know if you've never seen any of his films it's it's it, it's 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 jarring it's so it's it, it's so 60s and in one hand it's like uh you know you've got these like fresh-faced actors that look like they just got off a Pepsi commercial and yet they're you know smoking dope and shacking up and you know uh, reciting uh, dialogue written by Roger Ebert, by the way. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention. I was going to mention wasn't uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls uh, written by Roger Ebert, which I always felt was funny because you know you always kind of view as critics as if you know if critics were to uh, write a movie, wouldn't they write something very B movieish, you know, and very silly? Well, well, I mean, Chris, this is before. Rogers, you know, you know, uh, uh Roger Siskel and Ebert stuff and Yeah, it was way before that and you know, he he wrote the film and I'm probably had something in his contract when he started doing at the movies that the one thing that was absolutely taboo was for anybody to ever bring up Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which I don't blame him because I mean literally Austin Powers actually uh uh borrowed lines uh, from from that film, including this is my happening and it freaks me out. Really, that was that was the yeah, line. That, from... That's a, that's a line from from Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. That is awesome. With, yeah, yeah, you're a groovy boy. I'd like to strap you on sometime. So wasn't um, that wasn't that the basis for Austin Powers too? Like you know the very uh, 60s, you know or whatever you know like really 60s 
so easy. There, 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 there was that element. I mean, I think the glasses came from Michael Caine's character in the Harry Palmer films. Of course, obviously, there's a lot of James Bond and the Austin Powers films. But it's, it, I mean, uh, that, that that whole character, the whole scene is an amalgam of stuff. Uh, Mrs. Kensington in the first film is is Diana Riggs character from the Avengers. You know, it's 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 the I mean, and this is all stuff I grew up with. I grew up in the middle of the whole uh, spy thing. I, you know, I I saw the first Bond film in the theater, so you know, I was very very young, mind you, and and uh, and my mother took me to see it because she liked that shit. And you know, of course, it shocked the hell out of the nuns at Catholic school when I told them I I'd seen these movies, but. Um, you know, yeah, and then of course all the stuff, the the Saint, the Avengers, and then the the spoofs, you know, like uh, uh, the Matt Helm films with Dean Martin and the Flint films with James Coburn. All the all this weird stuff, you know, has made me the man I am today, which is you know one 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 crazy twisted motherfucker. <laughs> I was just told. Um, I was just uh, told on the chat room that uh, apparently. Two uh, filmmakers did a great homage to uh, Russ Meyer called uh, Pervert. Have you mm. seen that? I have actually seen it. And I met the filmmaker and I saw it. And it's, it's um, I, I, I think it's good. I mean, it, it, it definitely it draws probably well, a lot from, well, a lot from Pastor Pussycat, but a lot of the TNA is more some of the later Russ stuff. Uh, and it's fun. It's a fun film. I I think it's it, it's a, it's a good effort, um, and all that. Uh, I haven't seen yeah. it yet, or I, I just heard about it because uh, on the website that I was telling you about earlier, Microshock.com, they had mentioned it as a uh, review. So I've been wanting to kind of check that out. But I've I've heard I've I've heard good things though. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, uh, definitely check it out. It's 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 a fun film. Um, you know, I mean, in, anybody that can, I, you know, of course, uh, my film Halfway House embraces uh, my third and probably probably my most major influence. I respect uh, Russ Meyer and John Waters, but they are very, very personal in their films because their films reflect their taste. But the guy that is my, probably my biggest influence that was, you know, had you know, made some of his own films but produced way more is is Roger Corman. Uh and uh Halfway House is truly an homage to about four decades of Roger Corman films, uh from his juvenile delinquent films in the fifties to his Poe Lovecraft Gothic horror films of the sixties his women in cages films of the 70s and even by the 80s he he was doing slasher films too and all those elements I threw in the halfway house in the one really weird mixed up movie um and um uh but uh Roger is you know I mean everybody talks about Charles Band and Lloyd Kaufman and all these guys and I'm I'm sorry you know these guys are you know pale you know, in the in the shadow of Roger Corman. Because you know, he, a lot he, of people nowadays are comparing because Roger Corman, you know, does all did all those like uh, knockoffs. Uh, the company, the Asylum, or you know, kind of the 
the running up for the knockoff kind of stuff where they do the, you know, cheap knockoffs of the movies right before they come out. You've heard <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, Roger... Roger did do a lot of that kind of stuff, uh, and you know, I think I mean I think he's still making films. Uh, I'm sorry, that's my laughing Dracula uh, in the background there. I was gonna you know, say Halloween decorations. That is uh, so awesome. Yes, because that was just uh, a random. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the la- little random cackling in the background. Yeah, little little little. I thought you pissed some some kind of animal off or something. Yes, yes. But um, anyway, no, Roger. Um, you know, I mean, but Roger did way more. I mean, Roger did. Uh, uh, you know, basically, you know. Uh, 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 shaped uh, American International Pictures, even though he was a, a guy higher there. And uh, uh, the, the the Edgar Allan Poe films he did with Vincent Price in the 60s, you know, were landmark films that were, like, uh, 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 vilified by uh, not only critics here, but critics worldwide, you know. I mean, there's been all these esoteric, you know, French reviews of his films, all these psychosexual analyses of the, uh, of the the Poe films and, you know, Corman Smiles and so forth. But when he started his own distribution company in the, in the early 70s, he founded New World Pictures. And uh, while he was making movies like Death Race 2000 and Humanoids from the Deep, he was also releasing Ingmar Bergman films over here. Wow. You know, film, films, you know, foreign art films that would not, could not get uh, any other kind of distribution here in this country. So, I mean, um, then in the early 80s, he actually sold New World Pictures to a bunch of attorneys and and yet still continued to produce more films and kept his original library, which recently he finally sold his library to Disney for... I don't know, an undisclosed amount of money, but, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, I mean, this guy has been going since the 50s, <laughs> and even though he keeps saying he's retiring, yeah, I think he still keeps making movies, you know, and, um, you know, I just, <clears throat> you know, have uh, no end of admiration for him, especially in the fact that he started so many people's careers, guys like Jack Peter Fonda, as far as actors go, um, and uh, you know, as far as filmmakers, you're talking everybody from Francis Ford Coppola to uh, Joe Dante, Jonathan Demme, Rod Howard, uh, uh, Martin Scorsese, and, uh, and of course James Cameron. Exactly, and oh, like yeah, especially, and I've I just heard that they're uh, remaking Piranha. <laughs> So, Again, and isn't what? Oh, they, they've already remade it once. Did they? Yeah. Um. Yeah. If I'm not heard they're doing it again. I guess. Then I didn't know. They well, did. they're also making uh, a major leap. <laughs> the the. Uh, but yes, the um. Uh, from what I heard, they were remaking Piranha, but I'm not sure if that's really. What they were, uh, you know, I'm not sure. I just, that's what I heard last night. 
for them. Yeah, I mean, I think he did a bunch of remakes of his films for cable a few years ago. I definitely, I know he had uh, remade Piranha. He, uh, um, you know, remade The Wasp Woman and a bunch of other stuff. And uh, so, anyway. Yeah, I mean... But, but yeah, now Rod Roger Roger is, you know, uh, is a, is at the top of my list as far as you know the truly the king of independent uh, 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 independent films, the king of the bees, however you want to consider him, and uh, you know, uh, just it's one of those things you you uh, when. Uh, all the filmmakers that ever worked for him said, you know, well, you couldn't tell him, you know, oh, this can't be done, you know, you can't tear all these pages out of the script, you can't cut the schedule, you can't cut the budget like this, because, uh, you know, he'd done it himself on his own movies and proved that, uh, you know, know, he could do it. So, and... You know, most of the people that work for him have had, uh, you know, uh, incredible admiration for him. Coppola, Ron Howard, Jonathan Demme have all actually, and even Dante have used Corman even as an actor in cameos in their films. Exactly. And, um, I mean, yeah, exactly. Francis Ford Coppola used, uh, uh, was it, um, used them in, was it, when the Godfathers, I think, Godfathers. One of the, well, he, he's, uh, yeah, he's in the Godfather, uh, Corman's the head of the FBI in, uh, Silence of the Lambs. I mean, that's awesome, and, you know, um, a lot of other people have done that, like, you know, but, you know, but never, like, to that degree, like, you know, uh, of course, you know, Lloyd Kaufman, been acting in like little you know acting in little movies for like his fans but he's never really done anything with you know big huge hollywood people that much never really use them you know like uh i think slither was he was used but it was kind of uh was um you know was uh deleted you know well yeah i, I mean you see him in it but i think they cut his lines or something I'm not sure, but yeah, you you spot him in Slither if you look. I I, I enjoyed the hell out of that film. I'm really sorry that that uh, it didn't do better at the box office because I saw a preview screening of it and James Gunn was there with uh, uh, Michael Rooker, who is an actor I I truly uh, admire a lot and did a wonderful job in that film and. Uh, you know, I, I, that was kind of returned to the 80s sensibility as far as I was concerned of horror <laughs> films that were, uh, you know, gross over the top, but fun and funny. Was it like a remake of Night of the Creeps, you know, and so... Which which I which I, I personally was never a huge fan of, but yeah, it's, it's it, I, I, I frankly I think it's way better than Night of the Creeps, but, uh, uh, you know, but I mean... Uh, that kind of a blend of humor and horror that, I mean, uh, one of my personal favorite films of that era is uh, Return of the Living Dead, uh, which, you know, I'm, I'm not only a big fan of, I'm, I'm good friends with a lot of the cast members of that film. And uh, it's one of those films I can watch over and over again. I was at the 25-year anniversary at the Egyptian and, literally, and sat next to Clue Gulliger, 
who's an old friend of mine, and uh, watch that film. And it's like, you know, and the audience was, you know, laughing and applauding throughout the whole thing. And it's just, just, uh, it's, 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 it's just still just right on the money. And as opposed to a lot of these films today, which, and I mean, I do, I, I have enjoyed the Saw films and so forth, but I think, I think a lot of the contemporary horror films, I think my, my big complaint about them is they're so afraid to have a single light moment in them. They just want to be as dark and grim and, uh, I mean, physically dark. I mean, just these really, you know, everything is like got this blue or green cast to it. There's not a a bright daylight scene in it. There's not a the least little bit of humor or smile in the entire film because they're just so afraid of breaking the mood. And yet, you know, you look at some of the great great horror classics of all time and they all had light moments in them. I mean, you know, look 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 at how many laughs there are in Jaws. And that was one of the, the the biggest, most intense film of its of its time, and it's still effective, an effective film. Right, exactly. Um, I forgot to mention when we were talking about James Gunn, but I might be having him on my show soon too. Oh, good. Yeah, been, I mean, I, I I do not know him personally, uh, you know, but I I I think he's, you know, I mean, you know, just just a uh, uh, very cool guy. Yeah, he's very personable to his fans too. So. Very, you know, because I kind of, I kind of grew up on him when I was watching uh, *Tromeo and Juliet* and stuff like that. And then I realized he was the guy who did, he was gonna, he was the guy who did uh, like the Scooby-Doo movies. So, you know, it's just really weird to see, you know, see him go through all these different kinds of movies and be able to do those genres, you know, instead of doing just, you know, uh, just just the same movie over and over again, like a lot of many. Many director and writers do, you know. Yeah. Oh, another guy, uh, you know, uh, that I, I do not know personally, but I got to see a screening of his uh, of his uh, 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 film recently was uh, uh, Adam Green, who did Hatchet. Oh, um, also, another person we're planning on getting on my show. <laughs> so well, there I you mean, go. He, and again, I I felt that. Um, he did, you know, a good 80s style horror film that had a lot of humor in it, and uh, at the same time, uh, you know, had a lot of fun characters and a lot of over the top gory kills and so forth in his film. And you know, uh, I know he's been promoting the hell out of the thing, you know, on you know with viral promotion on the internet and so forth. And Anchor Bay gave it a a small theatrical release, but I think uh, I, you know, I think the numbers were good on it, and you know, hopefully that'll help its uh, DVD release because it's definitely a film worth seeing. Definitely, um, I, I, you know, I didn't get a chance to watch it in the theater, and I felt really bad, so I'll have to uh, publicly apologize to Adam Green when I get a, when I uh, do the interview. But yeah, huge, as well. As uh, Huge fan of like that kind of stuff that he's trying to bring back, like the eighties uh, slasher genre, I guess. You know. Well, well, it's it, it's beyond that because I mean, everybody, a lot of people are doing those kinds of films, and the the, the thing that I uh, that made his film stand out to me, yeah, I mean, he did a, had a lot of uh, 
you know, gore, uh, gore and violence in it, which, by the way, was uh, done by uh, John Carl Beekler and, and some of the best stuff I've seen him do in a long time. Uh, but it's beyond that. It's it, like I say, it's fun. It's right. It, it's a fun night of the movies. It's like watching Slither. It's fun. You 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 you, you scream. You laugh. You're grossed out. It's all of the above. Not just okay. Here's a bunch of people, you know, sawing their own limbs off or being, you know, having their teeth drilled out or, you know, various body parts pulled off with, like, pliers or stuff like that, which is, you know, so much of what we're seeing now. And while, you know, I mean, Saw and Hostel were good films, it's not a direction, you know, because any time a film is successful, then, then everybody says, oh, let's do something like that. And, you know, just like there were a bunch of crappy slasher films in the 70s and 80s after Halloween and Friday the 13th, you know, I just don't want to see, you know, uh, uh, tons of tons of these, like, uh, grim, nasty torture films coming out. I just right. don't. I mean, not. And then that's the funny thing. See, that's the, the what Saul did was it it made everybody want to watch it. That's that's why movies have to keep being original because then other people are going to go, well, I want want to copy that. Instead, they should say, why don't I just do something else, and then but, have but, other people want to copy me. Well, the thing, the thing, yeah, and unfortunately, though, but the studio mentality is now it's like everything's a sequel or a remake. Right. Even Rob Zombie's doing a re- doing remakes. Yeah, and, and, and that was they, kind of a bummer too, because um, you know, or even him doing like a sequel, not his own movie. You know, like like Devil's Rejects was not a um, a, was not a direct sequel, even though it kind of was, but it wasn't like it wasn't called like House of uh, House of a Thousand Corpses Two. You know. It was a devil's Well, I, I, in that case, I mean, and again, I don't want to speak for the man, but I, I, from what I understand, that was his choice. He, they, they wanted him to make a sequel to House of a Thousand Corpses, and he did, but he kind of did it on his terms, and he right, and that's, completely that's different better, direction. You know. Yeah, but you know, the remake of Halloween. Um, uh, Oh, I'm not going to, you know, go go on public record here, other than saying, you know, I I like the John Carpenter film. Okay. All right. Well, um, let's see. Uh, you want to talk about any like? Let's see. I guess we haven't really even uh, discussed too much about Halfway House, which is a uh, which is one of your <laughs> newest movies. Yeah, well, I mean, Halfway House. I mean, it has a, it's a, it's now a couple of years old. It's been out on DVD. I think it just finished its run on uh, Showtime and the Movie Channel, uh, but it's still available. You can rent it, uh, the unrated version, on Netflix. Uh, you can buy it on Amazon.com. Um, um, and actually, if you go to my uh, website, uh, uh, there's a link to buy it from Amazon. Uh, the website for the movie is halfwayhouse-movie.com um, and uh, you can, if you don't know anything about it, you can watch a trailer there, you can watch the music video, um, you can read the, the uh, there's links to all the reviews on various websites like Film Threat and, and um, other movie review sites. Uh, um, you know, we were very well reviewed 
and I was very happy with the turnout. It was not it's not a film for the average horror fan, as I said, you have to, you know, I mean, uh, it's, like I say, an homage to uh, this sort of old-school, uh, you know, drive-in exploitation thing. Uh, there's lots and lots of sex in it. I mean, we, we had the curious distinction of being rejected by every film festival we actually ever submitted to, including all the horror film festivals. Uh, and I believe that uh, it was because uh, we broke some taboos, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, you can't, you know, I mean, you know, when it comes to blood and gore and over-the-top violence, I mean, you know, I, I just don't know where you can go these days after, you know, you know, even back when Peter Jackson did Devil Live, he's like chopping up hundreds of people, hundreds of zombies with a lawnmower, you know, and spraying blood over the wall, walls, floor, and ceiling. I said, well, where, you know, where do you go from that, you know? <laughs> yeah, so exactly. Where, so where I decided to push the envelope was uh, uh, more in sex and putting it in, even in an edgier context with religion. And... Uh, I thought you couldn't shock people anymore in this country, and I was wrong. I was amazed at how many people were shocked, horrified, and truly offended by this film. And uh, the only explanation I have for it is, uh, you know, this country was founded by Puritans several hundred years ago, and guess what, everybody? They're still here. Yep. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, had we been chopping off breasts with chainsaws, we would have been fine. But the fact that we were just exposing them and, you know, throwing in a little religion, uh, that, that, oh, God, we can't have that. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it bothered people. Well, that's good. Uh, it, it's good to shock them a little bit, but you don't, you don't like, overbearingly, like, do it, you know, I don't think. I, I Well, I, I guess the thing that I, I did is I, I did it, uh, the whole film has a total sense of humor to it. It's not a out and out comedy per se, but it's it, it, it's it, it's it, it's it's intended very lighthearted. You know, even you know, even compared to a lot of the women's prison films that it was spoofing, which those films, some of those films, even if you go back to the Roger Corman Big Bird Cage and you know um, Caged Heat and stuff like that, those films are pretty rough, pretty mean spirited, a lot of a lot of girl-on-girl rape, violence, that kind of stuff. And uh, while there, we hinted that in this film, it's it's uh, you know it's done in a light-hearted way. And you know, and I was just kind of surprised that you know some people took it as seriously as they did. I said, "Don't you guys have a sense of humor for, for crying out loud? Come on, you know, it's like this, this is not for real." Oh, and uh, it's funny, I just recently talked with our German distributor who's uh, putting out the film in Germany, uh, I think, uh, in, at the beginning of the year, and uh, he basically told me, oh, it's probably going to get a PG rating in Germany. Halfway house? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, have a, they have a different sensibility there. They look at not so much the context and the, uh, the content in a broad sense, but they look at the context, you know, because actually they're very sensitive about violence against women. If, I, if I'd if i had somebody, a woman being raped or brutalized 
or something like that in a realistic fashion, it would, uh, it, uh, you know, it would be uh, it would be a big deal. But since I had them eaten by a big rubber monster with tentacles, you know, it's like that's not real. That's that's kind of silly. So uh, they they they're fine with that. Hmm. So, and it's also out in Japan with a. Uh, Looks like a girl in a Catholic schoolgirl outfit on a St. Andrew's cross, surrounded by flames with tentacles wrapped around her. If I, if I, if, if I, if somebody hadn't told me that was my movie, I wouldn't have even recognized the box cover in Japan. Hmm. Wow! I think that I think the title translates over there to The Guardian, which I'm sitting here thinking, wasn't that like a big studio picture with that title, like within the last year? Uh, Called the Guardian is like. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. The uh, wasn't that like uh, Samuel Jackson or something? Yeah, I think so. It's like I'm sitting here going, oh, well, why they change it to that? You know. Probably uh, to go with like you know to match with the other Guardian. Yeah, I don't know. It's like I don't know, but I mean you know I mean you know if you look at the, all the weird kinky anime they do over there with you know schoolgirls getting raped by tentacle monsters and so forth, which we didn't quite go that far with it. You know, there's no tentacle penetration in the film, but, uh, you know, but I, I, I figured there's definitely a Japanese audience for this film. Definitely. At least, at least that's what it seems like, right? Yeah, I, I hope so. I, we have, I haven't seen the numbers yet from Japan. Waiting to get the reports. Uh, do you get a lot of uh, Jap- uh, Japanese uh, MySpace fans? Maybe I've had one or two, but not any that have communicated with me directly. I have I have some UK fans, and it's played uh, it's played uh, some kind of horror channel over in the UK. I don't know if it's out on DVD yet over there. Um, but uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, I've gotten you know gotten some positive feedback from there. And, um, you know, I mean, nowadays, you know, with people with the all-region players, there's, there's been some, you know, foreign fans, you know, in countries that where it hasn't even come out uh, domestically there. And so they've, they've ordered, you know, the, the DVD from the U.S. and watched it, you know. Hmm. So. All right. Well, um, I'm going to take some more questions from the uh, uh, from the chat room. So uh, let me see if there's any any. Uh, they're all talking about uh, Halfway House. Oh, okay, great. So they, uh, they I guess they have all seen it. So good. So, so um, uh, Joe Joe Flynn from the Joe Flynn Show has seen it. Oh, that guy. Yeah, I know Joe. <laughs> <laughs> And uh yeah, he he yeah and uh uh Bab uh Babette uh Bombshell has been talking about it. Oh so. Babette Bombshell, okay. Yeah, so you yeah, so you got you got your fans here and everything. Um and uh my friend Jeremy Gladen, I don't know if he's seen it or not, but he's uh he's been a fan of your I'm stuff like a lot of your... hmm? Hold on, hopefully hold on a second, let me plug Plug me in. I'm on my cell phone here, um, and hopefully I just. Uh, okay. Yeah, you don't want to. Uh, it's almost going to probably end soon uh, anyway. Uh, so now, now I'm tethered, but I just don't want to run out of uh, power in the middle. Yeah, of Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I'm on a landline too, so like, I'm. Uh, you know, my my landline's been messing up after like an hour sometimes of the show. So um, we've gone on almost two hours. It's almost. 
the show's almost up, actually. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, please. Yeah, I, uh, I wasn't sure how long we were going to go for. <laughs> You're like, oh, well, uh, let's just keep going. <laughs> All right. Um, so what do they have to say? So, okay, let's see. Um, they're talking about the, the Babette and, uh, says she never saw a uh, um, uh, conversation happen during sex, so. That was uh, she said that was awesome. So I guess it was oh right. well, that's uh, 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 that was kind of fun how that evolved because actually um, when I uh, wrote the script, you know, and I, I'm, I'm you know I'm kind of old fashioned in my you know uh, storytelling, and I like to kind of yeah we open the film with you know you know a girl getting kidnapped and stripped and fed to a monster within the first five minutes. So I thought you know that will get their attention, and then. I said, well, let's set up the, uh, after that, and after the main title, let's set up the story. And I realized, I said, God, we've got about 20 pages of setup here before anything else happens. And I said, well, let's, uh, there's a lot of exposition with the girl and the cop, and my, my first thing was to start, it was to spread it out over a number of different locations so they just weren't sitting in one place talking and talking and talking. And so he spread it out, and I looked at it, and I said, you know, this is still a lot of talking. And I had an inspiration. And actually, uh, uh, there there is a, a much earlier and much greater film that I borrowed from that's not even a horror film, uh, uh, Patty Chayefsky's Network, uh, with uh, uh, there's this wonderful scene with Faye Dunaway and William Holden where they're, uh, they're, it's a it's a full on sex scene and and uh, Faye Dunaway is talking about uh, ratings and shares and so forth while she's humping uh, William Holden and I mean you, you've got major stars doing this and I said hey why don't we do this and that'll get their attention keep their hold their attention for a while and my two actors were totally. Uh, neither of them had ever seen Network, and they were going, how the hell do you expect us to play this? And I said, absolutely, totally serious. You know, just just do the dialogue and do the scene, and I su- suggested they go out and see the movie. I don't know if either of them did before we shot the scene. And uh, uh, I think uh, uh, Sean, the, uh, the, the male lead in the scene was particularly nervous about it uh, but uh, you know they did it and it's one of those things there's there's a couple little chuckles in the film but I've seen it with you know it's screenings with audiences and uh, it's funny because you know you're 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 about like 15 minutes into the movie and you're not quite sure where this thing is going and then all of a sudden they're watching this and there there's this full-on sex scene and then they're continuing to have just this like expository dialogue in the middle of it and it's it, it's wonderful to watch it because you know you hear the audience start snickering and then chuckling and then laughing out loud and they're howling by the end of the scene hmm. and uh, i think that's the that's the scene that kind of sets the overall tone for the film wow that's really cool yeah definitely and that was a cool idea for how you how you got that yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it was one of those things that was kind of out of necessity, and that's a, that's something that, you know, I think, you know, again, is a lesson to filmmakers. Are, are you still there? Hmm? Okay, yeah, sorry, I just 
my line went quiet for a second. I was was afraid I, I shifted here, and I was afraid I got disconnectors. Oh, no, no. Anyway, yeah, I'm no. still here. You're still on Okay. <laughs> All right, very good. Uh, no, but, uh, uh, you know, I mean, it's just one of those things that, you know, uh, um, I mean, you, you can't make yourself crazy, but at the same time, you need to keep analyzing what it is you're doing and, and keep, you know, in my case, it was a matter of uh, saying, okay, you know, uh, pacing, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, this is, a, you know, all this stuff is important for the story, but, you know, uh, you know, you can't be so preoccupied with that that you, you know, bore people. And so it was a matter of, you know, this is a film that's, you know, uh, you know patterned after movies that are, you know, that they ran at drive-ins and so forth like that. And it was a matter of, you know, keeping something going on in the screen, you know. And I had people ask me early on, well, is this some kind of softcore film? And I said, no, it's not a softcore film. It's it's a, it's an old-school exploitation film. And the difference there is, if you watch these softcore films on Cinemax, and I'm not knocking them, they have their place, but basically the, those films are basically porno films without the hardcore elements in it. In other words, you've got to have a sex scene every you know, uh, seven to ten minutes. And those sex scenes go on and on and on. And then they throw in a little random plot stuff just to get you to the next sex scene. And that's not what these films were. But what what they did was they they threw in whether it was violence or a shower scene or a cat fight or, you know, a monster eating somebody or something... But you, you you did have to, you know, continually throw something in to keep stuff lively, you know. And that's 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 the big difference, you know. It's not just about the sex. And, you know, one of the more intense sexual scenes in the film is the lesbian scene. And even that only runs a couple of minutes, you know. Uh, it's, it, it's uh, I deliberately made it as shocking and offensive as I possibly could and, uh, you know, with a- absolute intention. But I said, no, we're not lingering on this. Like the, sh- the Showtime, uh, or rather Cinemax thing, sorry, not Showtime, Cinemax, you know, these, basically you've got a bunch of naked people grinding on each other for like, you know, eight or nine minutes, you know, it's a love scene, and, uh, you know, it's it's tender, it's sexy. It's like, no, I wanted this to be as raunchy as we possibly could, you know, be, hit people in the face, you know, with a crowbar. Like the lesbian sex scene. That's the lesbian, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think any other horror film could boast to have an interracial lesbian fisting um in it so you know i thought okay this this is this is going to be the one that's it yeah i i definitely had a fun time and you know watching the flick you know just it's it's one of those movies that you want to show people because you just are so so like you you look at it and go oh my god what is this i gotta show people yeah. this yeah you know, so uh, you know, and I definitely, I, I definitely thank you for making that movie in itself. Just you well, know, no, I, I well, and, and and that's what's truly gratifying about it because I, I mean, I love discovering films that uh, you know, you know, I are things that are are, are weird and offbeat and out of the ordinary, 
and it just I, I truly enjoy and, and delight me and it's like oh my god you know uh, you know I, I don't know where this is going you know I'm you know they or you know it you know uh, you know and then just when you think you know where it is uh, what's happening then all of a sudden they throw in some real really weird um, uh, bizarre twist and that's the kind of movies that uh, truly. Uh, delight me and you know so basically you know i i you know made a made a movie that was you know something that i would have wanted to see you know and that's and, what you should and, do right yeah yeah and, uh, and uh you know while you know and there's been some things in retrospect particularly uh uh the religious element in it <coughs> has probably hurt us in certain foreign markets um and you know, um, you know, I I I realize that now, and probably now in the future, uh, looking to do, you know, continue to follow my follow my instincts, but at the same time, you know, keep an eye on commercialism. I, I you know, I I, I may I, I don't think I will go down that particular road again, uh, but I'm not. Uh, sorry that I did in the sense that, you know, what may have hurt us in some markets is also what really got us the kind of attention that the film needed to. And and, and, and that's what you do, you know. It's like, you know, uh, you know, every filmmaker, you know, with their, I mean, and this was not my first film, but this was kind of, it was the first film I'd done in a long time. And so it was kind of my re-entry into the market, and I needed to, uh, um, you know, try to, uh, you know, make some kind of an impact, and uh, you know, uh, hopefully I did, and 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 it, it is truly gratifying to know that, you know, while you know the world at large <clears throat> might be horrified by it or dismiss it or something like that, you know, that there are people out there that get it. And you know, embrace it and enjoy it, and that's you know, ultimately, you know, who I made it for besides myself. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm, I'm guessing we're 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 done on the time. I mean, we can still talk and everything, but this is uh, the chat. Right? Everything right now seems to be shutting off. <laughs> like, okay. Than the uh, the actual like this, so people probably might not be able to hear it right now. Okay. Um. So, uh, yeah, I I left for a second on my uh, thing, but seems like everybody else is um uh is back. They're still in the chat room. Uh, if you guys can hear us, please let us know on the chat room so I can tell if you guys can still hear the thing. I'm I'm thinking that they it works, but uh, you know, if not, uh, they'll be able to hear it in the archives. So if you want to keep talking about stuff, because I think. A couple of things. We didn't even talk about your newest movie that you did, Night Visit. Well, Night Visit is not a feature; it's a short film. Right. Yeah, it's uh, and, and, and when I say short, I mean short. It's less than five minutes long. And this is something I did kind of um, just. Uh, I've got some projects that you know I'm not going to talk about now because I always think until until I've got a green light on something and got the budget approved and everything, it's kind of almost, it has a tendency to jinx things. So, you know, and I don't want to announce anything prematurely, but, you know, I will say that I do have some uh, feature films 
uh, in the works that hopefully will be going into production, if not late this year, which is already late in the year, uh, but early next year. Uh, but in the meantime, just to kind of keep my hand and keep my name out there, I did this little uh, short, and it's a little... It's so funny. I, I, I intended to do it as a straight horror film uh, with a very contemporary feel, and everybody you see the posters, oh, that's such a cool retro slasher look to it, and so forth. It's like, okay, well, I guess no matter what I do, there's going to be people are going to say, you know, I'm kind of retro in, in one form or another. And in a way, I'm fine with that, as long as, you know, uh, you know, I, I can find an audience for it. Uh, but this is definitely, I mean, it's probably got some twists in it, and because they're so twisted there, you know, uh, you know, uh, at a certain point, it, you know, some people might find it humorous, but it's not the kind of quite the camp level that Halfway House has. It's a, uh, and I, I can't talk too much about it because, you know, Right now, it's out on the festival circuit, uh, and it probably will be for the next year. So everybody's asking, "Oh, when? When can I see it? When are you going to put it online, or when is it going to be available for sale?" I'm not exactly sure how to sell a uh, five-minute film, um, and eventually, I mean, I'm sure it will be up online on one of the websites or something like that. But right now, we're just trying to. Uh, um, you know, uh, get in the festivals and see if we can get some thing there. But it's also kind of a calling card because, um, you know, it's definitely different from Halfway House and that it's not a, uh, you know, there's no monsters or cat fights or anything like that. I got to work with a another uh, very cool actress who, uh, you know, has uh, actually had to work with Barry Warnoff and, uh, in a cold film called uh, Sugar Cookies. Uh, but she's also uh, worked with uh, George Romero in The Crazies and David Cronenberg in Shivers and uh, was even in Paul Schrader's Cat People. Are you talking about... Um, um, uh, Lynn Lowry. Who is that? Lynn Lowry. Lynn Lowry, who was also actually in uh, Lloyd Kaufman's first movie that he did. Well, that, yeah, uh, well, I, I guess he, yes, he had a small role in his first film and then... She was uh, had a major role in uh, uh, a film that Kaufman produced pre-trauma called Sugar Cookies, which was directed by uh, Mary Warrenoff's husband at the time, Ted Gershony. Right. Yeah, uh, that's and, it. And it's uh, it was described as uh, a lesbian version of Vertigo, the Hitchcock film, and but it's 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 a weird. It's got this kind of New York art film, 70s, softcore vibe to it. It's, uh, I, I, I had no idea what to expect, and it was uh, above and beyond anything I expected. And, you know, Lynn is probably naked, probably about two-thirds of the movie. And uh, Mary does her fair share of nudity in it, too. I mean, this is back in 1970, so... Um, it's 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 another uh, Gonzo film that's not a horror film, but certainly uh, uh, certainly an oddball, uh, you know, uh, uh, psychotronic mondo uh, bizarro cult film. Wow, that is really cool. I'll have to check that out. 
Yeah, definitely. It's, 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 uh, uh, Lloyd's putting it out on his trauma label, and it's, the packaging is pretty tacky, but the film is actually pretty cool. Um, and, but Lynn was an absolute joy to work with, just really a trooper. I mean, I mean, it was a five-minute film that we shot, you know, basically because I uh, am used to doing features. Uh, you know, if I said, if I'm going to do a short, because if if I start putting too much work and time into the making of this, you know, why don't I just go ahead and do a feature? So I said I, I put some limitations on myself. I it, it had to be shot in one night in one location with you know limited cast and crew. And ironically, though, because it was a short and there it was not a you know really a commercial project for me. And uh, I've had a busy year with, you know, my company, Total Fabrication, and a bunch of other things. And I was getting a lot of people to uh, donating their time, especially in the post-production aspects of it, that it probably took longer to finish than Halfway House did. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, we shot it in March, and I just barely finished it uh, uh, to get it into uh, uh, Shriek Fest, which was its first... Um, official, well, actually, it's screened up at Silicon in San Jose two days earlier. I wasn't even there for that. But uh, it, uh, 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 we had its L.A. premiere at Shriekfest at Raleigh Studios uh, uh, early October. And before that, I uh, actually, when Scott premiered Give Me Skelter in New Mexico, I ran a, did a sneak preview of it, but it, we hadn't completely finished the poster color timing on it. Oh, cool! So, so that's really that's really great that you're working on uh, some more stuff for people to see, too. Yeah, you know, and um, uh, is Night Visit going to be something that's going to be on uh, like you know available as a DVD extra or its own thing? Oh uh, well, I, I'm not sure. Again, you know, like I say, it's hard to market or sell a five minute film, even if I you know did a. I mean, we shot some behind the scenes, and Lynn, Lynn, you know, has, has agreed to do an interview for it, and as you know, and you know, I could do the on camera thing, but even then, you know, I mean, you know, even with a bunch of extras, we're talking about like you know, maybe a, at the most uh, expanding it to you know, you know, a twenty minute video or something like that. So I'm not sure. Uh, you know, uh, where it'll wind up, you know, in terms of any kind of commercial release, but, you know, we might, you know, I mean, I, I eventually I will probably make it available through some uh, online source, you know, but like I say, right now we're, we're, we're holding off and, um, you know, uh, submitting it to festivals for probably the next six months to a year. Oh, that's really cool though. Um, I look forward to it, possibly YouTube or something like that, or right? Yeah. Yeah, so some kind of online site. So, yeah, I look forward to seeing it. I'm sure you'll put some MySpace blogs up about it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's amazing, you know, I mean, um, you know, I mean, I have several websites, regular websites uh, for my production company, BV, hyphen ent dot net is my production company site. I mentioned the halfway house hyphen movie dot com uh and I also have you know my effects company totalfab.com. dot com 
And uh, all of those are linked off of my MySpace page, but it truly amazes me how people in MySpace like to stay on MySpace. You know, they want to get everything there. And I, I recently kind of updated my photo galleries there, but there's really not as much, you know, there's really stuff that you really can do on MySpace, and it, and it kind of, uh, uh, you know, bugs me that people are not willing to, you know, I mean, when I originally started my MySpace page, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll drive more traffic to uh, my uh, my regular sites, and uh, it's kind of surprising how that doesn't happen now. Well, it's like I hate to say it, I, d- I didn't even know you had a uh, regular site, I only, like, knew oh, yeah, were... yeah. Yeah, so I, I have to check those out now, and yeah, everybody yeah. else has to too. That uh, absolutely, yeah, they're, they're all, all, they're all there's there's links for BV Entertainment, uh, uh, Halfway House, and Total Fab off of, and uh, I mean we've got, I mean basically uh, Night Visit. There's you know, I mean we've got a, a page for that too, but you know there's also a MySpace site for that. Um, you know, again, it's kind of hard where, you know, somebody says, well, aren't you going to do a trailer for it? How do you do a, a trailer for a five-minute film? I mean, wouldn't that be the whole movie? <laughs> yeah, it's like, come on, you know, or at least half of it, you know. And so it's like, uh, so, yeah, I, I thought about it for a little while, and, you know, even if I did a kind of teaser style with a lot of graphics and so forth, it would just be kind of like there's there's not much point. And, uh, um there's a uh, like a festival submission site called WithoutAbox.com that you know, where you create your own kind of press kit and so forth, and they wanted like a you know a, you know 25 or 50 you know word synopsis or something like that, which I did, and then they said, well, what about you know like a several hundred sentence you know uh, you know uh, longer you know, synopsis or something like that, and it's like, well, that's that's the screenplay. <laughs> so it's like, you know, no, it's like I I can't do that. I mean, you know, it's like at a certain point, you know, you say to you know, you say you know, more than a couple of words about it, and you know, you might as well not bother watch the film. You've already been told everything. So hmm. yeah, it's 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 a little tricky with a short. Yeah, I mean, I'm, and. It's kind of weird because you know most a lot of filmmakers you know start out with shorts and music videos and whatever and then move on to features. So it was kind of a an interesting experience to do a short because you know it was also you know and you know I want to do something that worked as a short you know that just basically you know uh, you know set up a premise you know uh, and paid off and. And a, a very uh, a very short period of time. Even Lynn was saying, "Is it? Gee, is is there any way we could expand this into a feature?" Is that I have no idea how you could ever possibly do this, you know, uh, as a feature. You know, it's not. It's a scene. It's a uh, uh, or it's a, a series of scenes. It's a one note thing. And I mean, obviously. I think uh, a lot of horror works well with a short format. I mean, look how look how great some of the old Twilight Zones are. Right, and I mean, I mean both, and, yeah, I mean, with those being thirty minutes longer, so you know. Yeah, yeah. Even when they went to sixty minutes, it kind of killed the show. Uh, a lot of them didn't work, and uh, uh, the old night galleries they those were sixty minute shows, but they had multiple episodes in them, and they all weren't 
a set length. You know, they basically ran the length they needed to be to tell the story and then pad them. I think the problem with a lot of these things now, even, you know, our shows, is that they wind up padding things out to fit the the required running time. And that's and 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 that's also true with a lot of features too. And yeah, and a lot of people like these days, you know, um, will will try to uh, try to expand the movie into a feature when they know it, it only works. You know, it would be better as a short. Yeah. You know, I mean. It, yeah, and, and I mean, admittedly, there is no money in shorts. I mean, obviously, yeah, if you've got a TV series, that's a whole other can of worms there, but uh, yeah, you know, unfortunately for independence, you're either doing a short, which means, you know, you're basically making a calling card or something for the love or the passion of it, because there's virtually no way to make any money off of a short film, and um, it's hard enough to make your money back with a feature. It's so funny, because I see a lot of, um, like, actresses and actors and whatnot um, from the past uh, doing shorts now and stuff, like... I think even, uh, let's see, uh, you know, like, uh, did you ever know of uh, Danica McKellar from Wonder uh, Years? Uh, no, I, I didn't watch that show, but okay, I, well, I know the show, but I don't know. Yeah, okay, well, she played Winnie Cooper, which was, like, one of the main uh, main actresses, uh, but she, uh, like, uh, she, she was, like, uh, Fred Savage's love interest. Oh, yeah, yeah, actually, no, yeah, I remember her now, yeah, she was a cutie. Yeah, and um, she grew up to become, like, uh, this mathematician actress, you know, and she ended up actually also becoming a filmmaker. Uh, But she's only, so far, she's only done shorts, Mm. you know, and what she'll do is just take them to festivals and stuff, so... Uh, the festival thing, I mean, you know, and 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 I've done it a bit, and it's it's what I it still kind of mystifies me because I I was fortunate enough when I got started to you know uh, not that I you know I made a fortune off of it, but you know to work in actual feature films that got distribution and so forth, you know, back in the day when you know you know you made a film and it. You know, came out on DVD and, and, you know, like people were paid for it and so forth. And now, you know, I mean, uh, with uh, with uh, uh, digital technology being so affordable, everybody's out there making movies and, you know, um, which is, you know, a good thing, but the market is kind of flooded with a lot of stuff, even more mediocre and bad stuff than there ever was. And it's, uh, you know, it just, you know, makes it that much more um, difficult for new filmmakers to get seen and recognized because, you know, you're you're in this huge, dense forest of stuff. And, uh, you know, just getting anybody to watch something, you know, now is 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 tricky. And even people... You know, like me, who have had a, uh, um, you know, who have track records and so forth. You know, it's still, you know, I mean, you're still just, um, um, you know, and uh, I, I, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm fortunate because, you know, I can, you know, call up, you know, people from, you know, Fangoria or Film Threat or, you know, stuff like that, and, you know, basically 
you know, if I send out a press release, it's going to get noticed, you know, but for somebody who's never made a movie before and may not have, like, a recognizable name in their film, like a, even like a Mary Warren over Lynn Lowry, it's, it's tricky. How do you get noticed? What do you do? You know, because, I mean, especially now in MySpace, you know, there's a million, million films with MySpace pages. Right, and I think that's also a really good way to promote. I mean, um, actually, one of one of the uh, one of the people, I guess, I don't know if you heard of this uh, director, but he, I guess he's new and he just got out there and he got his name out there. One of the ways he got out there, I think, was through MySpace. Is um, this guy named Jeff C. Smith, who uh, made a movie called Stupid Teenagers Must Die. I've heard the title. I haven't seen the film. I have. Oh, actually, I just rented it. So, um, but he was on my MySpace, and see how I ended up renting it was uh, today, tonight. Um, he kept uh, sending me comments, you know, uh, saying stuff about it, you know, promoting his uh, movie. And I guess his movie just came out, uh, so he's been sending it to everybody, you know, and. He would keep sending me comments, and I was just like, oh, is this movie actually out or anything? And I walked by my video store the other day, and I saw that it was out, but it was actually physically checked out at the time. So I went to rent it today to see if it was today, and it was here today. So hopefully, you know, hopefully I'll have somebody else to interview soon, you know. Um, well, I mean, obviously, and of course, I'll uh, I'll say this first. Yeah, definitely support your you know local local video stores, especially if it's an independent, you know, uh, because you know those guys, you know, or the mom and pop stores, um, they're they're uh, they're a dying breed. Uh, but they're, you know, what uh, what's really keeping independence alive, you know. But, uh, you know, uh, if you don't have one of those, you know, I, I, I'm a very big supporter of Netflix uh, because, you know, that is, they have just this phenomenal selection of incredibly, incredibly obscure films, um, including mine. Uh, so, uh, you know, whereas, uh, Blockbuster, uh, we don't even talk about them. Well, see, that's the thing, because, uh, Netflix right there is, they are the independent, um, you know, uh, they are an independent online source. They have the mainstream stuff, but they also have the stuff that you can't get anywhere but, like, Amazon.com, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. and, and and they carry unrated versions, which Blockbuster does not. Um, I don't know. I haven't like I I don't really go to a Blockbuster. In fact, uh, the last time uh, well, Block, been... Blockbuster basically would not carry my film in their stores. Uh, they do. You can rent the R-rated version of Halfway House online from them, but you know. I mean, um, we... Who wants to watch the R-rated version, though? Well, exactly. I mean, uh, truth be told, the R-rated version is only a minute shorter. It's a really good minute that was lost. But um, we did the R-rated... Was it the lesbian scene? Yes. Yeah, the lesbian scene is is, uh, pretty much... um, Cut uh, cut out? Well, uh, the, the first part of the lesbian scene is there, but the fifth thing is completely gone. We... You know, we knew the Motion Picture Association of America was pretty liberal, you know, compared to, 
you know, back in the 80s and even the early 90s, but at the same time, we just didn't think they were quite ready for interracial lesbian fisting. <laughs> well, you know, uh, maybe they still aren't. <laughs> no, no, they no. And, uh, but, uh, and we primarily did the R rating for Blockbuster because as, 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 uh, much as I'm not personally partial to their policies and so forth. Unfortunately, throughout a lot of America, that's basically everybody's only rental choice. Um, you know, I mean, here in here in uh, Los Angeles, we have a number of really really cool independent video stores. Although a few of them, and uh, even uh, here, have closed recently. You know, they carry a lot of foreign cult, um, you know, obscure films, you know, as opposed to, gee, you know, uh, let's let's get rid of the old movies, meaning movies that were, you know, more than 18 months old to make room for, you know, you know, 25 copies of, you know, the new Tom Hanks movie or whatever, you know. So it's like, uh, it's, uh, um, you know, I mean, I'm not, fine with their policies at all, but we were hoping to get into Blockbuster just to re- reach a wider audience, and uh, uh, we didn't. Hmm. Well, um, yeah, I mean, as far as Blockbuster or whatever, uh, the stupid teenagers must die I found at Movie Gallery, which aren't really that big. They're not, I guess, you know, not as big as, like, Hollywood Video or... Yeah, I uh, think I think Movie Gallery might have carried us to about 100 percent sure. Somebody as an unrated. Uh, I think so. Well, well that's good because I've seen I've seen that they they do they do uh, do uh, unrated, which I think the blockbuster is uh, you know uh, Movie Gallery is just a better version of you know a better version of blockbuster because they're not trying to be uh, family friendly or whatever. Um, but Blockbuster is just Walmart or any other, you know, big, huge, you know, name company, you know. So, I I don't know. I, I particularly like Movie Gallery now because they're just a lot nicer than uh, Blockbuster, you know, about yeah. stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the problem with, you know, Blockbuster is, is I mean, you can't even find classics there. Right. Know? You know, I mean, yeah, we're talking, and I'm not talking about genre classics. I'm talking about mainstream classics. You know, it's it's just yeah, because they're all about you know, you know what's what's new, what's contemporary. You know, you know what what just came out. You know, last week or something like that. And it's just like it's not. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, there's a, a large segment of the populace that uh, that uh, that that's what they want or they wouldn't be doing it that way but uh you know that's why i like living in a big city i don't you know you know uh go necessarily go to the chain restaurants i go to like unique individual independent restaurants you know that have you know uh not something you're going to find in every mall across the country and you know and i you know feel the same way about entertainment Exactly. Well, I guess I'm going to wrap it up right now. Okay. But um, just so people can have a chance to listen to this in the archives if they want. Okay. All right. Well. Uh, but but thank you hopefully. so much for coming on. And um, wow, I mean, 
We could have probably gone on for a while longer if we really oh, yeah. wanted to. Oh, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully uh, we uh, uh, responded to all the, the the things that came in over the, you know, the message board or whatever. Right. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully uh, people will uh, be responding to this interview and Maybe we'll uh, definitely when when you got uh, when you got something else coming that you want to promote, uh, feel free to contact me about it, and we'll we'll get you out there. And well, I hope uh, hopefully we'll be uh, announcing some uh, new feature stuff, um, you know, early next year. Yeah, definitely. Um, All and, right. And, and, well, Donald, you know, thank you early so much for uh, having me here. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you so much, and. Um, we will definitely, this one was a pretty big, uh, you know, a lot of people have uh, listened to it, so hopefully the archives will be even uh, larger. You know? uh, do, uh, yeah, do, uh, do send me the link so I can kind of post on my page and all that stuff, too. Okay, cool, definitely. Um, I actually did send a, um, I don't know if you got it in your comments, but uh, a poster for it. That's oh, yeah, I did. The flyer. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. I'll I will check that and make sure that, you know, the link is uh posted and maybe in the blog section or something like that so people can check it out. Yeah, definitely. And uh yeah, hopefully people will listen to it and uh respond to it. And um yeah, and thank you so much for coming on. I mean, uh you know, Puppet Masters is a classic, so a lot of people are gonna be wanting to talk and hear about that and uh, your experiences with that and um, uh, I guess on my last, in my first interview I did with you, uh, we talked a lot about that, but, you know, um. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, and I certainly don't mind talking about that, but, you know, I, uh, and certainly have no problem answering questions about it, but I, I, I I've done t- so many interviews. Yeah, so people can just listen to those or. Watch yeah, them. and uh, you know, essentially, you know, it's uh, it's always, you know, if you know, from from an artist standpoint, you know, I certainly love to be appreciated for my past accomplishments, and hopefully, you know, you know, even halfway house is recent, but it's you know, uh, I'm now starting to get a few whiskers on it, so I'm hoping to have even newer stuff to talk about very soon. Yes, uh, thank you so much, and uh, we will. We'll definitely try to get you back on here again whenever you get, you know, like I said, whenever you, uh, you know, whenever you get something uh, going, just let me know. Okay, very good. Okay, thank you so much. All right, have a good night. You too, have a good night. Bye-bye. All right, everybody, that was Kenneth J. Hall, um, the writer and director of uh, uh, Halfway House as well as the uh, director of, um, or the writer, uh, the creator of uh, Puppet Master. So, um, everybody who's still listening, uh, who's listening to this, um, thank you guys for listening, and I can't wait to hear uh, what people's responses were to this. All right, you guys have a good night. Bye.